2: this movie
0: welcome back to a brand new episode of wtm watch this movie i am eric Mulder.
2: some of us pump and some of us slump
0: joining me once again is mr positivity wolfie t you
2: want to talk we'll talk i'm a sucker for good conversation what's
0: up not much having fun watching these 90s action films we are in the throes of our summer series yeah, now that we got that Flash out of the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like every episode we did with Zolly was just leading up to talking about the Flash and James Gunn. So I was glad we were able to uh, put that
2: out to the masses. Which Zolly rated uh, ASAP, but also <laughs> what 2 out of 10? Three, 3 out of 10. <laughs>
0: well, it's Batman. You got to see it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the laughter you hear is a very special guest we're talking rumble in the bronx today and with us we have john grace from the midnight movie cowboys podcast
2: my tiger kung fu is better than yours i don't think you're
1: good enough to avenge your master yeah glad to be back
0: welcome back thanks for coming back um loved our episode on uh, Stephen seagal and alfred justice last year so uh you're such a wealth of knowledge. I know that extends to uh other martial arts films, specifically oh, yeah. Chinese, Golden Harvest, Jackie Chan. Oh, sure. Everything I was, so
1: I was there on the ground running for, <laughs> for all that stuff when it happened. So
0: yeah, you were the uh the go-to for anything martial arts. All right. So I guess before we start, uh Brett, this was a first time watch for you. It was. Give us your initial opinion, since John and I have both seen it.
2: Uh, it's like a cartoon with real people. <laughs> it's, it's it's basically a, a live-action cartoon. <laughs> it's not a lot of plot. It, it's The plot is just like a, a thin excuse to get Jackie Chan into situations where he can fight people or do ridiculous stunts. Sure, so it's, uh, but it's entertaining. I, I enjoyed it. Um, Not much of a thinking uh, man's movie. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those movies where if you want to watch something that doesn't make you think too hard, but it's still going to be entertaining. I think this is a good one for you.
0: Yeah, I had uh, seen this, of course, as a kid. You know, Jackie Chan kind of came on the scene in the mid 90s in America with first like for me, it felt like First Strike was his first big one. And then it was everyone, when first strike came out, everyone said, oh, you got to see Rumble in the Bronx. (laughs) That was his first one. (laughs) You know, like he didn't, you know, have a 20-year career, 30-year career in China. But I had it on VHS, used to watch it all the time. Although I hadn't watched this since late 90s, early 2000s. So it's been over 20 years. A couple of things I forgot, a lot of the stunts I remember. uh, It held up better than I thought it would with the action and the stunts, but um John, did you, uh, did you see this in the theater? What was your first experience?
1: First time I saw it was in 95. Uh, I watched a um, a uh, Hong Kong Laserdisc version. And okay. it was the Hong Kong cut, which was uh, something like 20 minutes longer. Yeah. And uh, was, uh, my impression of it was not good. It was another bad Jackie Chan movie. Because he had been, uh, for me, it was a losing streak starting with Supercop which I really didn't like. And I didn't like twin dragons and uh, I did not like crime story. I enjoyed city Hunter. And then I think this was next. I might be wrong. Uh, But uh, I really just did not like it at all. And I was like, Oh man, he's just boring the audience. And of course it was a a massive hit in Hong Kong and in China. And I remember that uh, me and my friend Garrow got an interview with Donnie Yen uh in boston and we were talking to to him at his uh mother's uh kung fu Queen school hmm. he, and we asked him about rumble in the bronx and he was like oh donnie n was saying oh it's <laughs> terrible it's like you know it only people just go see it because they like jackie and he's like a legend in hong kong but it's a bad movie and and he was right and then um i recall that i, I read a variety headline that New Line Cinema had purchased Rumble in the Bronx to distribute <laughs> oh hi Fez, um to distribute to America and and I was like oh no why that one why it's horrible <laughs> and uh they it had been mentioned that they were going to edit the film for American release and I thought that was good and they were going to redo the music and um when I went to see the film in I think it opened in like February or March I can't recall Went to see it. with a, It was a good-sized crowd in Boston, and um, uh, I was surprised. They had edited all the fat out of the film, and it was a pretty watchable live-action cartoon w- for what had previously been a very boring uh, Hong Kong action comedy from Jackie Chan, with the stunts being few and far between. Uh, New Line really tightened up. the. Uh, their editors tightened the hell out of that movie. And made it actually a lot of fun to watch. You could actually, because you're going from set piece to set piece, you're not thinking about all the movie's storytelling problems, which are very obvious in the Hong Kong cut. And uh, and I enjoyed it. And so that was the first time I saw it. And I don't, I mean, the first time I saw the American version. So I've only seen it twice. So this viewing I did on Amazon Prime the other day, that's the, uh, the third time I've seen the film, second time for viewing the American version.
0: So you're telling me Uncle Bill's wedding wasn't an exciting scene?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what all they cut out, but I remember they tightened that movie up where it seemed like a different film. And they also, um, I think, improved the sound effects. As far as, and the music, I didn't care for the music in the original cut anyway, so I didn't didn't mind. And of course, you will have these fanatical Hong Kong fans that insist uh, the original version is great and they're full of it. They're absolutely full (laughs) of it. These are the type of people that thought super cop was a good movie and uh twin dragons is a great movie and it's like no it's like for me jackie chan's quality streak kind of ended with police story Two, and he didn't make anything like that after i mean starting with operation condor it was kind of like diminishing returns but what the, maybe uh some of those films he made in the 90s they just needed good editing because uh the wonders they did with uh rumble in the bronx they uh they really polished it
0: yeah i read somewhere that the uh, i forget her name but the woman who purchases these the supermarket in Rumble. Uh, Elaine, uh, oh, Anita Moy? Yeah, she, yeah. in the Hong Kong version, apparently she bought the supermarket at Bill's wedding. Like she didn't okay. buy it right on the spot. Right. I was like, oh, Bill had his own wedding. Is, you know, I mean, it's part of the plot, but we had a whole scene of his wedding. Wow.
1: Yeah. yeah and it just shows that it just wasn't necessary to American viewers because it's um, Hong Kong movies, because they're basically kind of just populist entertainment they have a lot of bloat in them because there's uh if you look at the original uh jackie chan cut of police story there's a lot of scenes of jackie winking at the camera and hamming it up and stuff and then you watch (laughs) the export cut and it cuts all that nonsense out but that's what his audience likes in uh hong kong and particularly in japan where he was popular with teen girls in Mm. the mid 80s so all this kind of winking at the camera and being cute stuff it doesn't really work for american viewers as much although i will say operation condor the funny thing is i didn't think the action scenes in that one were very good because they were constantly interrupted so a fight will start but it doesn't actually end it just gets interrupted and uh but the comedy in that film was better than the action and when miramax released it over here 10 years later or whenever uh they cut all the comedy out so it's like a it's really bad so (laughs) Mm. the american cut of operation condor is just hideous and um but it's it's funny what the audience what they expect the audience to dig in both America and Hong Kong. It's it's an interesting contrast and in, in taste.
0: Didn't Operation Condor and Super Cop kind of get the Road Warrior treatment? Because isn't is Super Cop Please Story Three? Yes. And Armor and Um Operation Condor is like Armor of God three or something? Or
1: it's Armor of God two.
0: Okay. It's equal Armor of God. Because I remember, you know, after Jackie Chan blew up. You know, my dad loved him. So that was mm-hmm. something we kind of bonded over. We loved the the comedy uh, and right. the fight scenes and all that. So we pretty much watched everything. Jackie, I mean, released in America. You know, we, we saw Operation Condor. And I remember I had Who Am I on VHS. Right. I used to watch Who Am I all the time. Loved the the final fight scene with the, the twins.
1: Right. Is that um, the one that they're fighting on the roof? Yeah. Like in Holland? Okay. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of his movies end the same way with the huge show of force from the police as they're closing in, you know, they have right. like 20 boats in the ocean at the end of rumble and <laughs> kind of the same thing in, in Rotterdam at the end of who am I, there's, there's boats in the water, there's police vehicles on the street. They're all closing in. And it's just like, well, you only needed like five vehicles probably.
1: Right. Right. You spent a lot uh, of money on that. That was um, I think that was a trend started by rumble in the Bronx because because that was an international hit and it was the first Jackie Chan Hong Kong movie since uh snake in the Eagle shadow to actually get an American release. And uh, that previous film was literally like 15 years before the funny thing is Jackie misunderstood the acclaim or the, um, the popularity. So he thought, Oh, instead of a big fight at the end, I can end with a big stunt, hmm. like a big, like the hovercraft or whatever it is and rumble um, sure. so Mr. Nice Guy drives like a bulldozer through Richard Norton's house yeah. or mansion, or um, yeah, yeah, they would end with the big stunt instead of the big fight. And just mm-hmm. being a fan of Jackie going back to like '82, I want a fight at the end. I don't want, I don't care about stunts. I could see that in yeah. a Burt Reynolds movie or a Schwarzenegger movie.
0: Yeah. The Who Am I one, he slides down that building, with the steep grade, yeah, is like the final part of that movie is just a stunt after the fight, scene. right?
1: Right. It's a stunt. And it's like, well, that's not. It's not what I see his movies for, but he kind of uh, as they say, read the tea leaves wrong or whatever and and thought, you know, I oh, people want to see the stunts and they want to see me almost die. So, like he has like this <laughs> obsession with it. Even though the funny thing is, he actually didn't do a lot of the major stunts in Rumble. Uh they're actually done by Stanley Tong, the director, who looks at okay. like it like he does the building to building jump that they were oh, showing really? ads is oh this is jackie doing his own stunts like, so, no that's his director doing the stunt
0: because i thought they sh- i thought it showed jackie waving in, in the credits when they, they're going through the stunts and stuff they
1: fake it they yeah. he, he will go and fake it for the camera like he did the oh stunt really and he got hurt oh yeah yeah guys who've worked <laughs> on his films as stuntmen said like uh everything will go fine with the fight scene and everything's good and nobody got hurt and then jackie has to go over to a corner have his guys surround him and fan him for some reason (laughs) and he acts like he's hurt and (laughs) you know they're all gathered around fanning him and there's no nothing happened it's just but that was his routine and uh it's funny before his uh passing roy haran had said in an interview that when he was filming a fight scene in snaking eagles shadow back in 77 he said after they filmed their fight scene and Roy had broken his collarbone, is what he claims during the fight scene or something like that. He'd, he'd broken a bone mm-hmm. or his shoulder or something. And he said, But Jackie, after the uh, Yen Wu Ping yelled cut, started acting like he'd been injured. <laughs> and so, th- and then he realized, Oh, that's his thing. That's, you know, it's this sort of thing that he's working on, you know, as part of his selling gimmick or whatever. And um, so he started doing the outtakes, I think, it, with Young Master in 1980. And uh, supposedly, he learned it from watching Hal Needham movies, which had the outtakes at the end and the bloopers. I don't know if it started with Hooper or uh, Smokey and the Bandit 2, but supposedly that's what gave him the idea. And then he ends up doing Cannonball Run and being part sure. of the, bloopers, the blooper thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he he didn't do all his own stunts, despite all the constant you know, hype on that. But that was a way to sell him to America. That's the way he sold himself.
0: I mean, I was born in 86... So I want to say in the mid-90s, I subscribed to a children's magazine. I believe mm. it was called Disney Adventures. Yeah. It was about the size of a TV guide. Right. And I remember Jackie Chan was a, a cover story for one of them, big, long interview for the kids. This right. is post-first strike. And I remember it talking about how he had broken like 140-some bones in his body throughout his career. Right. Any truth to that then? I mean, this is all making me question all that.
1: I'm sure he broke some bones. Uh, I know he had some really bad injuries. The injury in Armor of God was very real and life-threatening, and they, they at the time, thought he was going to die. It delayed him making movies for, like, I think almost a year or half a year, something like that. Um, He he definitely had injuries on the sets. I mean, doing those fight scenes and um, the stunt work he does do. He doesn't do all his stunts. He does do some of his stunts. He does, but he does them with the same precaution that an american stuntman would use you know stuntmen don't go do a stunt that they know they're going to get injured on they there's they're wearing padding and protection mm-hmm. um some of the stuff you see in films like uh drunken master 2 you'll see um these uh stuntmen fall down the stairs like head first like they're hitting these wooden stairs well um one writer was on the set of that film and he said that the steps in the tea house were actually made of like foam rubber so those guys were hitting it but it wasn't You know, it didn't look as bad as it was Mm -hmm. um he's also known to have injured stuntmen in his films and he keeps the take and and everything like seagal uh, (laughs) yeah he's he's really instead of beating them up like seagal does he uh basically has them do the same stunt over and over again then they get to go to the hospital when filming is done at the end of the day Mm. like that's (laughs) apparently there are men who worked on dragon lord a really awful film he made in 1982, I believe it was when it was released. There's some sport they do in Hong Kong vying for the firecracker or whatever, but it was a whole pileup scene and he did like a record number of takes. He didn't let any of the stuntmen go to the hospital until like the end of the shoot. And he got in the Guinness world book of records, even before he was well known over here, he was listed in the Guinness world book of records for record number of takes of an action scene or something like that. I, I don't know. You can look it up. But there are some of the stunt guys, they don't walk. They never felt quite right after that that uh, movie. You mm-hmm. know, the, like the injuries lingered, you know, some nerve mm-hmm. damage or whatever. Sweet. And uh, Vernon Wells uh, of the Road Warrior, speaking of Mad Max 2, <laughs> he uh, told me that there is a hospital ward in Hong Kong, the Jackie Chan Hospital, where all the stuntmen in the film (laughs) industry are who've been injured on movies and he found it distasteful because he made a hong kong movie the undeclared war and uh, he saw the way those guys hurt themselves he just thinks it's wrong he says it's about making illusions it's not about getting hurt and he told me himself he said no one was injured doing any of the stunts in the road warrior none he says the only injuries they had was a guy and a gal were returning from a bar to their like hotel room, and they got into a car wreck. He said that was the only injury, so it was completely off camera. So, um, there is sort of a shady side to a lot of Jackie's claims. However, you know that you could pretty much say that about a lot of the the Hong Kong directors and stars.
0: Okay, yeah, he did break his ankle supposedly for *Rumble in the Bronx*. Or yeah, and I think, was, I, think it,
1: I think he sprained it, or he might have broken it. Uh, but it was like a it was a weird. He it's funny he does do some really impressive scary stuff um you know that he does do but he gets injured doing these kind of subtle stunts like jumping eight feet off of a platform or something and he lands wrong and it's probably a matter of landing on the same foot every time and it finally gives in or or something weird like that like his armor of god injury was um he was jumping from like a wall to a tree branch and it was only like a nine foot drop you can see it on the movie it doesn't look like anything and he missed the branch and hit a rock you know a rock break breaks right mm. into his skull so it's just weird stuff it's funny what injures these guys
0: let's talk a little bit about golden harvest yeah so i'm from the boondocks so couldn't really watch a whole lot of foreign films mm-hmm. brett you'll have to uh chime in here have you or I seen anything Gold Harvest in the 90s besides Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles?
2: I have no idea. I I would guess probably no.
0: <laughs> I remember <laughs> seeing the logo, but I can't remember what it would have been besides the Turtles films. Cannonball Run? Uh, I'm sure I saw it when I was a kid, but not yeah.
2: often. I might have seen that first one.
1: Megaforce?
0: <laughs> Magnum Force, is that what you said?
1: Megaforce.
0: Megaforce. It was like, Magnum Force? They had the... The Dirty hairy business? No, um, no, they
1: weren't that involved.
0: <laughs> my earliest recollection of, I guess, Jackie's career getting a start is I heard he impressed Bruce on the mm-hmm. set of, I think, Fist of Fury by doing some jumping stunt where he jumped off of a tall building or something like that. Is that...
1: he? What happens what he is he's, playing, he's doubling for the Japanese villain and he gets kicked by Bruce and he, he gets pulled by a wire and it pulls him... Uh, through a wall or through a window of the, the the pagoda the japanese office or whatever into the courtyard the notorious golden harvest courtyard you see in every historical golden harvest movie <laughs> okay. they have like four sets you see in every film mm. and he gets yanked across where like the kicks sit him across the courtyard and uh and it was jackie doing that stunt and i i a lot of that story, Bruce was so impressed with him and said he'll be a star one day or something like that. It just sounds like myth-making or whatever. Um, although I know Bruce was pretty respectful with his stuntman because they made him look good. But um, I I think Jackie had already made, or after he made that film, he, uh, he starred in Stranger from Canton or... Uh, which was later released as Snake Fist Fighter with well, I'm
0: sorry footage. to interrupt, but you're talking, of course, post Cliff Booth beating him up on the set of the Green Hornet, right?
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> third season of the Green Hornet. That never then happened.
0: he became, <laughs> began to respect his stuntmen.
1: Yeah, yeah. He respected them after that, you know, the, so supposedly based on Gene uh, LaBelle giving him a fireman's carry on the set of the Green Hornet and not okay. using <laughs> Let Bruce down.
0: Did he ever come across Hell Needham at all?
1: I wonder. Uh, I know that Hal Needham uh, was friends with Jackie, and here's a guy who's done all these incredible, you know, Hal Needham has an amazing history of stunt work before he was even directing movies, and um, apparently he got into a car with Jackie, Jackie drives Mitsubishis around Hong Kong, and drives like a maniac, and I guess (laughs) Hal, you know, rode shotgun with Jackie driving And they said that Hal got out of the car white as a ghost. (laughs) Jackie (laughs) scared the hell out of it. (laughs) So that's one of the legendary stories. Um, It's funny you mention Hal Needham because um, Jackie's first attempt at American stardom or half-assed attempt was uh, The Big Brawl, which is not a good movie. But uh, the funny thing is it's directed by Robert Klaus, who's a pretty lousy director. Um, I was thinking, God, it would have been so much better if Hal Needham had directed this movie. Hmm. It's, it's like a Hal Needham big brawl would have ruled. But I think the problem was Robert Klaus had written the script and sold uh, sold, him, sold it as a package to Golden Harvest. I write the script and I get to direct and, you know, I'm the auteur of, you know, Golden Harvest that makes mediocre films.
0: Sure. So basically the 80s is just where uh, Jackie exploded with Golden Harvest
1: okay because he was uh he was a big star seasonal films made him a star uh lowe tried to make him a star uh with a, a few uh traditional kung fu films and a fist of fury sequel new fist of fury jackie tells the press because i think his manager had him rehearse this oh they were trying to turn me into bruce lee and i wasn't bruce lee well the funny thing is if you actually watch new fist of fury at no time is he trying to act like bruce lee he's really jackie goofy and uh sloppy and clumsy and almost Mm -hmm. winning by just not giving up it's like i i don't know why he tells those myths but i think it's because americans have a viewpoint of the genre like oh hong kong was trying to find another bruce lee the truth is if you if you observe their business and you observe their history of these films bruce lee dies in 73 and this is the film industry in hong kong okay let's make another movie you know okay this guy's dead it's like saying, "Oh, in Hollywood, they quit making teen films because James Dean died." It's it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like they were just like, "Oh, okay, well, we'll go make this David Chang T Lung film." And Golden Harvest signs uh, Tan Taliang and Chin Sing and Jimmy Wang Yu to do more movies. And it's like they didn't care. They, it was just business as usual. Now they didn't have that star that could automatically get their movies into the American market or the European market. They had to create new stars, but even before the bruce lee films were released in america um uh we'd already had five fingers of death and um triple irons which was new one-armed swordsman the david chang tealung film that was already released in theaters over here and both of those did very well and some jimmy wang yu movies did very well too Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a myth that bruce lee broke the genre into america he he was very close to it uh, and he was definitely part of it but he wasn't the first two or three stars to actually be known over here
0: sure I mean, I've seen Police Story 1 and 2. They're both phenomenal, but I know he was a star way before that. I don't think I've seen a Jackie film before. I mean, besides Cannibal Run, uh, <laughs> before the police stories.
1: Well, the one that made him a star was Snake in the Eagle Shadow. Um, and what happened was Seasonal Films was an independent film company. And they asked to, first they tried to get Alexander Fushing from Shaw Brothers. And uh, Ron run Shaw said no, he's not doing films for outside the studio. So uh, they went to Lo Wei and said, "Can we borrow your guy Jackie and put him in this movie?" And Lo Wei was like, "Yeah, sure. I'm not having any success with him." Uh, and so they made Snake and Eagle Shadow, huge box office hit. It was Yin Wu Ping's directorial debut, I believe. Monstrous success. Then they borrowed him again for uh, Drunken Master, and that made him an even bigger star across uh asia like it actually did well in japan and it's it was it's actually tough for a chinese star to break out big in japan they're not all you know you could be a star in hong kong it doesn't mean the japanese are gonna like you and that that was a very profitable market and jackie broke out big in japan and um and so after that golden harvest signed him to a deal to make uh the young master which was a continuation of the the kung fu comedy that he'd been doing and um that's what that's when he just kind of took over he was a huge star after that there was no stopping him
0: mm. uh so i guess what is your favorite uh favorite few films of his what made you a fan
1: snake and the eagle shadow because i saw it in a theater when i was in 1982 when i was a kid mm, very sure. imp- i didn't know kung fu movies could be like that they could be funny and exciting and be almost like an acrobatic three stooges type thing so it was uh it was like you knew you were see- seeing something different it was probably like a zonked out teenager seeing star wars in 77 like suddenly you're getting this completely different type of movie so i love snake and the eagle shadow i love project a and uh, i really love police story 2 and um I, I there's some i need to go back and watch like project a2 that i i need to watch a good version of them um the problem was when i was collecting these in the late 80s a lot of times you would get copies that had no translation because you get them from japanese laser discs. so they're in Cantonese, okay. japanese yeah. subtitles So um, you just kind of watch him for the action scenes and try to follow the story. And um, by then he was making movies with a lot of subtlety and actual plot. So it kind of made it frustrating. So I still have to watch Project A2 with the proper uh, translation and everything. But a lot of people tell me that's their favorite. I also really like Wheels on Meals. That's a lot of fun.
0: Uh, In the 80s, were you able to watch a lot of martial arts stuff on television? Or did you just see it in the theater and through laser discs you bought overseas or what have you um in
1: 1982 they started showing a lot of martial arts movies on tv somehow i don't know if a deal was made with the fcc or something but i had always heard they were keeping those films off of tv because they were too violent or it was felt they were too violent but in 1982 the floodgates kind of opened so till about 86 you could watch a lot of Chinese martial arts movies on on television. Uh, USA Network had Kung Fu Theater.
0: Okay, I don't even remember that.
1: My local channel had Black Belt Theater. If you had another, if you were lucky enough to have a second or third UHF channel in your area, they were showing martial arts movies from different TV syndication packages. It was just the floodgates opened. And then when we got a VCR, of course, I started renting them. And uh, the video stores in Mississippi were very well stocked with Kung Fu hmm. films. They were very popular, so it's like that's got and I, I would keep a notebook and try to keep track of all the ones I was watching because there was no book or magazine really telling you anything about these films you kind of had to learn by watching so mm-hmm. it uh, it kind of made it fun and of course it probably seemed extremely weird at the time that anybody because uh at the I remember my parents thought that kung fu movies were basically for kids which is stunning when you consider the amount of rape scenes in them and blood and <laughs> gore and decapitation <laughs> and cold-blooded revenge um you know that's the other funny thing is there's all this stereotype because of the david carradine tv show that kung fu is this philosophy of peace but boy you watch these movies and they just beat the hell out of each other for no reason whatsoever so mm-hmm. i i don't think they that philosophy is a real thing and even in real martial arts study i've done i don't really see it there
0: all right well i think we can start talking more rumble in the bronx oh yeah uh brett did
2: you have any uh Anything else to add or any questions for John? <laughs> I was I was just looking through Jackie's filmography. I don't think I th- I think I've seen the first Cannonball Run, but other than that, I don't think I've seen any Jackie Chan movies besides Rumble in the Bronx.
0: Oh wow, you never saw Rush <laughs> Hour?
2: No, I guess he hmm. was in Enter the Dragon. I've seen that, but he he's not credited.
1: Right, Looking by Bruce, and you see Bruce knock him into a acid bath and. <laughs> Angela Mao Ying kicks him in the groin in uh, her opening scene,
2: or her only but, scene. But yeah,
1: and I, think he, and I think he flips over into water because that was his one of his specialties.
2: But other than that, like, yeah, I, I never got into Jackie Chan. Like, I remember like as a kid seeing his stuff advertised, and people were super into Rush Hour and Shanghai Noon, and I just had no interest in it.
0: I forget. I almost did. He does he show up in the
1: Man with the Golden Gun? no he's not in oh, that
2: okay because
0: there is that that kung fu scene but i couldn't remember if i was re-watching or something i was like oh, is that jackie is one of the you know the, the, the extras basically
1: what's but- sad is i could recognize some of the stuntmen in that film <laughs> like, like, I'm like oh there's <laughs> Ye shang oh i said <laughs> <laughs> i know i've seen too many of these when i'm recognizing these bit players that roger moore is doing his terrible karate chops on so <laughs> judo chop <laughs> judo chop yeah just quickly you know going back
2: back when you could just make up uh moves in different martial arts before people started watching ufc and figuring out the difference
1: right right you know you couldn't um fake stuff like uh oh gosh i mean even the the it's funny i've taken so many different systems of karate there is no karate chop (laughs) (laughs) there is a knife ridge hand strike and i think there's like one they call it the judo or whatever there is no like there's the no judo shop. shop huh is yeah like shote? a miss piggy type yeah. thing or whatever you yeah. know
2: judo doesn't even have striking it's a grappling
1: right right it's predominantly grappling there's some jujitsu systems that do have a couple of striking moves and i am told judo does have some strike some systems of judo have a strike but it's not punching and kicking it's kind of like a, a quick elbow or you know, strike or something like that as you're going in for a a grappling move. I've never taken judo. So, you know, just learned a few. So you don't
0: know, do you?
1: No, I don't. But a (laughs) friend of mine is a judo black belt. And he was telling me that there's they have judo moves to take out boxers. That they might have trouble with you
2: know i'm sure in olympic judo that is not allowed
1: no no because maybe
2: in self-defense judo <laughs>
1: right there's you know? a sport there's a sport judo and then there's traditional classic judo that they taught to tokyo police and such
0: well i can't remember where i heard this but it might have been on that wonderful midnight movie cowboys podcast was it you guys that were talking about the judo chops and stuff could basically be blamed on the the vulcan uh you know, neck pinch? <laughs>
1: because it's an easy uh i supposedly the the myth is that um or the legend is that leonard nimoy did not want to remember uh fight sequence moves and he didn't <laughs> feel like messing with choreography because you know he's just this he was not an athlete or anything so he says how about i just pinch their neck like a a pressure move and they nerve hold, yeah and boom, <laughs> created a pop culture staple
2: <laughs> that was the deal too you chop somebody in the right spot on the neck they go right down
1: right right <laughs> how many times did manics get chopped in the neck <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> uh,
0: 5 finger death punch I'm sure that had a little something to it you know
1: right right but it's something that the actor doesn't have to memorize a bunch of moves you know, like William huh. Shatner was very enthusiastic about doing karate and wrestling and all the other different <laughs> things he does in <laughs> Star Trek and the flying body press and whatever crazy stuff he does but uh nimoy wanted no part of that
2: (laughs) doing his larry zabisco black belt karate (laughs) (laughs)
1: exactly well it's like that um some of um they saw the uh they 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 saw the star trek they saw nimoy and deforest kelly at a star trek convention and they said oh yeah star trek 5 is going to start filming uh next month they go um well what are you guys going to do in it he goes well Bill is directing it, so it means we're gonna be running and shit.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently Shatner was
1: real really like to show that he was in shape in every Star Trek movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one still kicking, so I don't think that guy's ever gonna die. So <laughs> And the there's only
2: there's one who made choice. it to space. He made yeah. it to space.
1: Yeah, he's the real deal, I guess.
0: All right, well talk about some of the details here johnny mentioned the director is stanley tong so yeah. he kind of got his start with uh some stunt work
1: stunt work i, I think he uh he, he did stone age warriors i believe might have been one of the first, no I, I think he directed that i can't remember I, I didn't even check notes or anything but uh yeah he started out he was a double for michelle yo believe it or not okay and um had, had done other stunt work and then he moved up the ladder to directing and um Ended up being Jackie Chan's director, and I think because of Rumble in the Bronx, he got to direct Mr. Magoo. So, wow. <laughs> that was his gold ticket. Um, he did develop the Martial Law TV show with uh, starring Samuel Hung for CBS, so he did get some production deals out of it. Okay. And he got to work with Coolio in the movie China Strike Force and cast him. Ooh,
0: well. wow.
1: Yeah, lucky <laughs> him.
0: So, of course, this stars Jackie Chan as Kyung.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Nina Mui as Elaine. I should just have you uh, pronounce these names because I can't.
1: (laughs) Oh, Nina Mui. She passed away from cancer. um, Gosh, something like 15, 16 years ago. Very sad. Yeah. Um, Very, she was very young and she passed away from cancer. And they just put out a biofilm of her last year in China that I actually want to see. But I got to wait for the the Blu-ray or DVD to be reasonably priced somewhere. I actually got to look for that when we're done with the show.
0: Well when I saw her, I thought, man, I recognize her from something else. And it can't be just Rumble of the Bronx. So I kind of looked her up and I didn't know she was she was a singer, mm-hmm. apparently maybe the most prolific Cantonese pop singer ever. Yeah.
1: Very popular. Very, or she very was popular.
0: called the Madonna of the East. Yes. And uh yeah, I heard she died of cervical cancer. But yeah. um I looked through her filmography, she was kind of a prolific uh actress as well. Although I hadn't seen much uh, from her filmography. And then she was slated to do some more films right before she died. She backed out the last minute. I think it was it was at House of Flying Daggers, possibly.
1: Yeah, I think she was supposed to be in that. That's, that was around that time. And and um, yeah, she was very prolific because in Hong Kong, they're kind of like Japan where they, they kind of expect, if you're an actor, you're also a singer. okay, And you're a performer. You're basically a celebrity. It's just... You know, it's just the way it is. I guess we used to be like that. If you look at the fifties and sixties, Dean Martin would start a drama, yeah. then he'd start a musical, and he put out records. Elvis. Yeah, Elvis, um, Sinatra. Um, you could look at a lot of the forgotten works of uh they spoofed it in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but guys like Robert Conrad uh would put out song you know, they put out a single or George Maharis. They try to have a singing career in addition to <laughs> the tv stardom and the movie stardom so it was oh. uh it was something they, they more successfully did in hong kong i guess
0: you're forgetting the modern day crooner harry connick jr
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't he like big as a singer and then he would just play villains in movies did he ever actually star in anything
0: kind of well he did uh he did some rom-coms i think he did he did one with sandra bullock i believe is that hope floats maybe i've never seen it but i think that's him
1: yeah i've never seen it but it's I'm not yeah it's funny they would put him in basically just rom-coms because girls dug him
0: yeah i do and like you said him. i i do remember him as the villains and as the villain in a lot of films like copycat
2: i remember that
1: i remember the trailer the trailer was particularly obnoxious
2: well we just we just mentioned william shatner prolific uh oh yeah musician <laughs> and singer that
1: <laughs> and Jackie himself uh, uh, supposedly a singing sensation uh, across asia but i don't i don't care much for his singing i think his music's fairly bad
0: well it's his song that they cut out of this film right yeah.
1: and yeah that was probably merciful <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the Ash song, Kung Fu, is a good substitution for his singing, so. So uh, not, he's not one of my favorite canto pop singers, not even in the top ten.
0: <laughs> you want to pronounce Nancy's name for me?
1: <laughs> um, Let me Fran- get to...
0: The... Françoise France, uh, Yip.
1: Françoise Yip. Um, she's Canadian. She wasn't even a Hong Kong star, and it was France, funny because wow. I looked her up because I thought she was very, you know, very attractive in the film, and it uh, turns out she still does television, does a lot of acting and stunt work. Hmm. but she never really left uh, north america she did a couple of hong kong films and went back and worked in canada and a lot of stuff is still filmed there let's see here rumble in the bronx let's go over these names for you so you don't uh come off, <laughs> i had come a big crush
0: like on higher. nancy when i was a kid I Used to yeah. work watching her in the club although for a rated r movie this is really tame i was very disappointed that you don't get to see more of you nancy
1: right i thought it was dumb that uh they gave it a r rating um, I, they should have cut it through a PG thirteen. Uh, you yeah, frankly. You see of this, more of yeah. White
2: Tiger than you do of Nancy. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. It's funny. <laughs> like, um, they, they could have cut that too, and I think that would have been fine. And some Asian prints actually cut a lot of that stuff. So,
0: I'm sure if they cut the wood chipper scene, it would have gotten a PG thirteen.
1: Cut the cut all the all you had to do is reloop the F word and cut the wood chipper scene or cut it back. And you should have a PG 13 that kids could go see. And it would have probably made twice as much money because yeah. he's, he's really a performer for children. I mean, that's the audience he wants. And I don't know why they always insisted his stuff be R rated in America. Hmm. But like, Oh yeah. You know, the, the uh, flea pit crowd won't go see him if it's R rated or something, or if it isn't R rated. So I, I don't know what they're thinking is. But it would have made more money if it was PG-13.
0: Yeah. Uh Bill tongue Yep. He collaborated a lot with Jackie, right? Isn't he his superior in Police Story?
1: Yep. And I think he's even in Project A2 as his superior, if I recall correctly.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Bill, Bill tongue had a very lengthy career in um and He's Hong a Kong. Golden
0: Harvest player. He's one of the main oh, players.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just looking at it, and it's like kind of stunning what all he did. Wow, going back to at least 1977 for TV, so yeah. He, he plays
2: Uncle Bill in at least three or four different movies. Five, oh, six, yeah. seven. Like
1: well, he, he uh plays off Jackie real well when they kind of do the superior and young guy. So I think he was he was a good standby to bring in for his films.
2: He's like Tony Danza. He'll he'll only answer to Bill.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Gotta play Tony. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Angelo in this
1: going bananas. I'm Tony in there. Going a- I'm Tony. Taxi. I'm Tony. The boxer. Hey, I'm an Italian.
0: So yeah, Bill Tongue plays, of course, <laughs> Uncle Bill. Uh Mark Ackerstream. Ackerstream, sorry, plays Tony. Yeah. Kind of the first main villain before there's a
2: second main villain. Until, <laughs> Until they just completely turn. <laughs> <laughs> in allies. other words, they
1: tossed the script out while they were filming and just kind of made it up. Pretty much. Apparently, uh, Mark Ackerstrom died in 1998. I didn't know this. No.
0: Oh. It looks like he's a stuntman.
1: Yeah. Or was it doing stunts, though? Uh, head injury. Yeah, it was probably a stunt work. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, flying debris while observing a robot explosion on the set of the TV series The Crow, Stairway to Heaven. Oh, good Lord. Is there a curse with that damn print? <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's terrible.
0: Garvin Cross plays Angelo. Go to yeah. his IMDB. There's a nice picture of him in the X Files. <laughs> uh but yeah, it looks like he was also uh mainly a stunt performer.
1: Yeah. Worked on Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible.
0: Mm. Morgan Lamb plays Danny. He's known for this and crying free man. <laughs> Boy in lobby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so vancouver uh regular <laughs> basically
0: yeah uh john i thought you said canada doesn't make anything good
1: <laughs> uh they don't because they didn't actually make this film so. golden
0: harvest right
1: <laughs> right it's a golden harvest had a weird deal with canada where a lot of stuff was filmed there and i don't know if they had some sort of production or um tax shelter deal but a lot of stuff going back to the early 80s was filmed in canada golden harvest
0: I I read uh, Jackie and crew lamenting the fact that they had to try to shoot around the mountains <laughs> <laughs> to try and make Vancouver look like New York. And eventually it seems like they just kind of gave up. Jackie seemed to just want to focus on the action. And I did kind of miss it, but. I mean, I think maybe in the golfing scenes, you can kind of see the mountains, but I know there's certain scenes where you can see mountains. And it's like, well, New there's York a, There's several
1: any. scenes where you can see mountains. Uh, there's one where he's running on the rooftop. I remember in the theater, you could see the mountains in the background. I don't know about <laughs> TV. I didn't notice them this time out. Um, the mountains of Vancouver, of New York. Um, <laughs> well, the the interesting thing is, I don't even think they tried to block him out. What happened was um, a friend of mine interviewed Stanley Tong like maybe a year after this was released in America. And uh, Stanley Tong said, yeah, bought this one all the times, all the movies we've made and America finally buys the one that we didn't make for Americans at all. He goes, <laughs> had I known an, a Hollywood studio would buy this film, I would not have shown the mountains. Believe me, because I wow. could have easily cut them out. He goes, I had no idea that America would buy this one. There was no reason to even think they would even care. Because they turn their noses up at every Jackie film offered to them.
0: Well, I figured that was the reason they said it in the Bronx. To sell I, it to the American audience.
1: Here's a fun fact. Well, I, I read an IMDB little trivia note where they claim that New Line Cinema considered calling it Rumble in Vancouver. Because <laughs> the mountain's been so but, the, but the truth is, and I don't believe that story, by the way, but the truth is, um I I think New Line Cinema probably figured, you know what, nobody cares going to see this thing. Uh, Most Americans haven't actually been to New York and have no idea there's no mountains. They know there's the Catskills on the map, but they're a bit of a distance away from the Bronx. Uh, But, you know, I think they just didn't care. They said, hey, it's a live-action comic book. You throw credibility out the window. Hell, everything now is filmed in Atlanta. So, Yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny how fresh and lively this seems looking at it now compared to the comic book crap i've had to sit through in the past 20 years that is all filmed in a green screen in atlanta studios despite being set in africa and asia and everywhere else <laughs> <laughs> you know movie, movies um they, they've lost a lot of believability i think uh, it would be if they did more like on this on the set stunt work and location filming i think i could buy into the superhero stuff a bit better than the these uh basically playstation 4 games being sold as movies that you can go see in the theaters it
0: almost seems like uh a lot of the marvel stuff is turning into pinewood studios where it's just all these all these international locales for these british directors that don't want to leave like right. kubrick and the bond series and stuff it's like all the later roger moore films he doesn't go anywhere <laughs> you know they have the 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 rear projection and whatnot is having running through Paris, even though like view to a kill, he never sets foot in Paris proper. Yeah, (laughs) Just running around Pinewood.
1: Well, the, um, the funny thing is it's um, I remember uh, there was a low res wonder Bread episode where Hans had mentioned he had a friend who visited the set of, he got in on the set of a Marvel film and he said, all it was was Irish stuntmen flipping (laughs) around a green screen studio. And what they do is they just film all their movements and then they just insert them into wherever they need them. And that, right. that's literally all it is. That's how they're making these movies now, as opposed to like Rumble in the Bronx where they're filming outdoors. Or there's some there's some pretty good like car stunts and pile ups and sure. dismantled yeah. buildings and, and everything that it's kind of cool to see now. Like you didn't really appreciate it back then because you saw it all the time. You might see it on a TV show, but now you look at it and like, whoa that's really cool because it's really happening you know
0: yeah it's like watching the car chases at the end of uh blues brothers and all the all the mayhem it's like you can't you can't get that today nothing no no
1: now it'd be all this digital blurring and really Mm -hmm. bad background work and it's it's
2: not as good as catching rubber babies and putting them in a microwave
0: (laughs) so funny because leading up to watching the flash i had seen the the gif but i didn't know it was played in reverse so going into the film i was like he's because it it showed the part of the uh, the end of it when he takes the baby out of the microwave and he's smiling yeah. and i was right. like what kind of evil flash do they have in this scene i'm gonna watch about <laughs> him smiling as he's putting a baby into the microwave and i was like what the f-
2: it's so almost I was, worse watching it the the, the right way.
1: The, the funny thing is, the best action scene in in the Flash is the kitchen fight between Bruce Wayne and the two uh, the two uh, Flashes, the two Berries, <laughs> because it's like it's all actually happening. They're throwing they're throwing objects, real objects. They're having like yeah. a Jackie Chan style, you know, utensil fight or whatever, and mm-hmm. that's actually the most enjoyable action scene in the whole film. Yep. Yeah. And it's like there's a message there somewhere. I it doesn't seem like anybody <laughs> got it. It's like uh, if you had action scenes like that, that movie wouldn't have cost so damn much and wouldn't be losing so much money for that stupid corporation. So
0: mm-hmm. just real quick. Uh, well, at least Disney doesn't have
2: enough money to buy it. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's true.
2: <laughs> Disney's bleeding now too.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're bleeding uh just as bad as Warner Brothers. It just doesn't get reported as much.
0: Well, I saw today somebody, I think it was uh, Stags and Deer retweeted a story about them doing a one and a half billion dollar write off for some of their uh, film and TV stuff for this quarter or whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Just dumping they make horrible stuff.
1: stuff. They make horrible stuff. Nobody, People are canceling Disney Plus subscriptions because they see their new movies. They're just like, eh, hell with this. Mm-hmm. I didn't renew after like a year. or So I think I canceled like a year ago. He just didn't care,
0: you know.
1: It's like good.
2: I've been trying to convince
1: Zolly to get rid of it.
2: (laughs) He's got got to watch his Star Wars. Yeah, he's
1: (laughs) he's got to have his Star Wars. (laughs) Even though he'll tell you this isn't real Star Wars. Yeah,
0: (laughs) and he'll he'll tweet the stuff all the time. I mean, I know he tweets things for various reasons, but yeah, he'll tweet. He tweeted, I think, uh, what was it last quarter? Disney Plus lost four million subscribers. Mm-hmm. I replied to him like you can make it 4 million ones Ollie <laughs> <laughs> you have the power <laughs> he's still a subscriber <laughs> gotta, gotta watch Andor and uh,
1: <laughs> I, I've i never watched um, I think I watched maybe two She-Hulk episodes oof. and that was enough to maybe just cancel Disney Plus right there so
0: you did not see the twerking because I think that's in the last episode
1: I didn't see the twerking I saw <laughs> The Daredevil episode, and I think I saw the first episode or something. It's just
0: like good that. fun, John.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just good dumb fun.
2: <laughs> well, you hate well, it. You're not you're supposed sexist. to
1: think about it. What are you, an incel? You know, <laughs> what are you, alt right? Uh-huh. You
2: colorist, John. You, <laughs> the only reason I hate that show is if you're sexist, and there can be no other explanation.
1: Yeah, there's just no other reason other than maybe you like good writing. You know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I heard in the last episode that they they break the fourth wall and uh, they they basically shame the viewers for not liking the writers or something or the right is that true that's, that's what i heard yeah it was like uh <laughs> some like fuck you to the audience or something
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, it's a sh- that's a show written by idiots made for idiots it was like
2: i i think she was like uh berating the writers for like not being woke enough or something or
1: oh my god yeah <laughs>
2: There's something like that. I remember people were tweeting about it.
1: Oh, jeez, but... they should—they should have made it interesting. And she catches like Hulk AIDS or something.
2: <laughs> well, you know, she said uh, her uh, cousin Bruce or whatever their relationship is. He—he he could never know what it was like to be as angry as she is all the time. <laughs>
1: Even though what did he have an abusive father that killed his mom in the Ang Lee movie? I can't I can't remember. I don't know what what it's like in the comic book, but
0: I didn't. Yeah, I never I never saw it. felt like that.
1: The Ang Lee film. Yeah, I never saw that one. Oh I my saw... god! It's the most unbelievably pretentious bad film of all time.
2: I saw that Ang Lee film in a in a packed theater of uh, like ninety percent mungs, and they loved it. They loved it. <laughs> We went out in the parking lot afterward. It looked like Fast and Furious One.
0: <laughs> that's a yeah. That's a fun fact, John. We have the biggest Hmong population in the United States, which is why Clint came here to cast most of Grand Torino.
1: Oh, really? So he didn't go to Detroit to cast him.
0: He there was some from Detroit, mm-hmm. um, and they didn't film anything here. But uh, the the main girl is from uh, the Twin Cities, I believe. Oh, I okay, think the okay. I think the boy is from Detroit. All right, all right. Could be vice versa, but most of the, a lot of the actors are from the Twin Cities area. But they were actors. Well,
1: well, they, they answered the call. Until they were in that movie. <laughs> but boy, the the Hmongs were pretty bad actors.
2: They they were actors after they were in the movie, and then they got right. IMDb. But change. technically, on paper, they're actors. Yeah. She isn't so bad. the The main kid
1: she was is all right.
0: God awful.
1: Right. Yeah. Ugh.
0: And then he had to shit talk the movie later, you know.
1: Yeah, I don't think Clint cares. <laughs> no, he can't act good. I don't have to pay you as much.
0: <laughs> uh, it's it's funny though to think about the way Clint shoots movies and to have him like film the scene of him banging on the door, like you know, Clint leaves, locks him in the basement, and he's like, "Now, nah, now," nah. and Clint <laughs> just is like, "All right, we got it.
1: Check the gate." <laughs> yeah, one take, Clint. That's all it takes.
0: Yeah, believe he could watch that and just be like, all right, let's move on. We got it.
1: it, it there are so <laughs> many Eastwood films uh that you could look at and go, God, he really needed more coverage on this scene. Wow, he really could have used a second take, or this was the best take, and he just doesn't care. He's just like, get it over with.
2: What is it in the in the rookie? Uh I think Hunter pointed this out. <laughs> There's a scene where uh the wife was a Char- Charlie Sheen's wife? Yeah, Charlie Sheen's she's wife. attacked in their house and they do like a 360 spin and like clinton like half the crew are just in the shot <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah yeah they're in the background on the right they're
2: like just standing in the corner of the room and the, they spin the camera on 360 so like you can't <laughs> miss them so you know it, and it's fast enough where like you if you're not looking for it you probably can't see it but
1: well it's, it's uh, um they make fun of ed wood for saying oh nobody notices things like that but eastwood <laughs> does that he's like the most respected director in Hollywood, you know. Yeah. You know, he's
2: supposed to be tied up uh, getting raped at the warehouse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny uh, Eric Zaldiver called me today and he said he had just seen The Rookie for the first time and uh, he wanted to know what what I thought of it when I saw it when I was a teenager because I that was their opening night and I said, "Well, I I uh, I like the uh, the fight scene of Charlie Sheen versus the entire bar." thought it was hilarious It was like he of got a hold of some hong kong movies that said well this is how i do it you know and so he has this completely unbelievable fight scene and uh and i like the opening scene with the cars uh that car chase where they're they're being released from that yeah uh,
0: michael bay rips it off and bad boys too
1: right and what i liked was it had like a jazz score like it was 1975 again yeah using it's jazz. probably just
0: copying but, lethal Weapon.
1: Yeah, yeah, except he's got a real <laughs> jazz score, like, you know, just some trombones and horns <laughs> going, just doing Miles Davis stuff. And um, I, I like those two scenes, I said, but the whole thing I was asking myself was, did I just watch Sonia Braga rape Clint Eastwood? <laughs> 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 and, and it also has that terrible scene, like, well, it's a recurring joke where he can't uh, get a light, like he forgets his lighter yeah like this is, he's, he's always looking for characterization a light. or whatever it's <laughs> like oh i need a light you got a light You know, it's just like <laughs> it's like he, he's still thinking very 1970s but eric pointed out he wondered if the screenwriters got that from the movie pieces because in that christopher george could never find a light for his, his mm. cigar or cigarette or whatever it is because
0: mm.
1: he's always looking for a light so i said i think scott spiegel was one of the writers or one of those guys one of those Sam Raimi guys, so I would not be surprised.
0: About that uh, newer special edition Blu-ray of uh, pieces, and it comes with its own CD soundtrack. It's like 18 or 20-some tracks or something.
1: God damn, I got to get that. That's a party movie. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. That, that might be the one Jalo I can watch again and again and never get tired of because it's so dumb. <laughs> First, it's got Bru- Bruce Lee, is in it? Bruce Lee. Bruce, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, Bad Chop Suey. Which apparently that scene was cut out of the film venture's theatrical print Hmm. when it was released in theaters. Wow, that was a bridge too far for Edward (laughs) L. Montoro before he disappeared in Mexico.
0: Oh wow, Um, John. Any more comments about the cast? Anybody we missed? Anybody have notes Um, or some fun facts before I talk about the synopsis? This heavily convoluted plot.
1: Uh, you mean this? We threw the script out and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and started shooting whatever the hell we felt like shooting. A lot of um, ins, a lot
0: of outs, a lot of what have yous.
1: Yeah, it's it's very, it's got a very improvised feel like it was, the movie was improvised around the stunts because my, my understanding is that's how he did a lot of his movies. They'd have a really good script written up and day one of shooting, he just tossed out the script and just filmed what <laughs> he wanted to. So, fix it in editing.
0: He's a real maverick, huh?
1: But, um, but no, I don't There's not much else to really say about the film, you know, it's uh, other than this is the one that made him a big star in the West for better or worse. So,
0: when I reached out to you about this, I was thinking about doing pretty much any Jackie Chan movie from the 90s, but I mean, I think Rush Hour might be the film I've seen the most of any film I've ever seen. I think I've seen Rush Hour the most because it was constantly on TBS.
1: My condolences.
0: And I mean, it, I I was a kid when I saw it and of course I right. loved it. My dad liked it. We used to watch it all the time. And then in the boonies, when you just have, you can't even get really, you can't get cable from town. We didn't have satellite until like 2000. Uh-huh. So you're kind of stuck watching. Okay. What's on USA? What's on TNT? What's on TBS? Right. Those are the quote unquote movie channels. Right. And it was US Marshals and Rush Hour.
1: <laughs> I've never seen US Marshals. It <laughs> good?
0: Uh, it's not as good as the fugitive,
1: <laughs> yeah. And I don't like the fugitive that much, so ooh, I better avoid it.
0: It's where I mean, you can watch it once. I mean, it's Wesley Snipes right. and Robert Downey Jr. and Tommy Lee doing his thing, but it's whatever. If, if not, I find
1: right. the snapcase DVD at a library sale, I'll
2: probably that. <laughs> <check it out. laughs> yeah. Oh, that snapcase DVD was everywhere. Um, w- wasn't The Last of the Mohicans constantly on back then, too? Yeah, but I, I still have never seen it. I've never watched it, but I remember constantly seeing commercials for it. It was on like every weekend for like five straight years.
0: And like like movies like that and horror films would always be on USA and whatnot. Right. But I never wanted to watch it because they were edited. I was, I, I was always like, well, when I get a little older yeah. I'm going to be I'm renting them all. Right? Right. I mean, I didn't mind as much with like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. I just watch it for the action but and then once you know my parents kind of because basically the main thing was my parents didn't want me to see nudity right they tell me to leave the room like if they, we rented like true lies we talked about a like, true lies episode they made me leave the room during the dancing scene because they thought jamie lee was going to get naked you know
1: they, they didn't want you to see a uh a transsexual <laughs> or a maphrodite <laughs> dancing <laughs> They were sparing your eyes.
2: Well, we, we talked about how she had the ass of a 10-year-old <laughs> <laughs> to a ten year old boy Go to Bill Paxton's tastes. So it was a different time.
1: All that stuff could have been cut from that movie It would have played better. <laughs> <laughs> the Bill Paxton thing, all that stuff. it just I Cameron James Cameron was really working out some inner turmoil with that film. Well, it worked for us.
2: That's like <laughs> the whole movie, though. If they, if you cut that out,
1: like there's nothing. Well, no, you get a you get a second-rate Thunderball ripoff with more expensive uh stunt work and stuff. Yeah, because they
0: they forget about the terrorists for a good hour hour twenty yeah. minutes of that film, and they're just focusing on Bill Paxton and Jamie yeah. They
2: they get briefed on the terrorists twenty minutes in, and then uh, Arnold finds out his wife might be cheating on him, and then that's the rest of the movie. Until the terrorists reinsert themselves into the plot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, uh, school of the terrorists. I think my wife is fooling around, you know, yeah,
0: because she's dancing for him, and then the terrorists bust in and kidnap them
2: all
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: for unknown reasons. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> no, we couldn't figure out why.
1: I couldn't even remember, I couldn't remember how they tracked him down or whatever. So, I don't know, they
2: didn't explain it, they just busted in the room and kidnapped both of them.
1: Oh, it's that wonderful Cameron screenwriting that always pulls through. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, but no, I was
0: gonna say uh for my memory, First Strike was his first big one. Although Rumble of the Bronx, it says here on like uh Wikipedia was the most profitable film of '96. It was. It was released in '95 in Hong Kong, but '96 in the States,
2: which I didn't mm-hmm. know. But well, I re- I remember the legend the legend of Drunken Master being promoted in America a lot.
1: Yeah, but nothing after Rumble was much of a hit, except for like Supercop. And that was a war between Miramax and New Line because Miramax broke an agreement, uh, putting out Supercop like three months out. They put it out three months after Rumble. They had actually purchased the rights to those movies in 1991 or 92. Because I remember I was in college when I heard Miramax bought the rights to a bunch of Jackie Chan films. I'm like, okay, great. When are they releasing them? And they didn't for they waited for New Line Cinema to make Jackie big in America. And then they released all that stuff. Mm Because you know, they're not the they were not the most innovative distributors in the world. They were imitators. Yeah, they just followed somebody else's lead. But you uh legend legend of
2: Legend of Drunken Master might have played one one time in nineteen ninety-four, then didn't come out in America until two thousand.
1: It came out in China, in um, Hong Kong, so it played the American Chinatown circuit and was a big hit there. Oh, but um, they Miramax did a re edit and actually had Jackie come in and dub his voice in the film because it's not his voice in the Chinese version. Uh, he had a dubber do all his Cantonese and and his Mandarin uh, dialogue because he he didn't have time and didn't want to do the looping. So uh, Miramax actually brought him in to dub the uh, English version. I think as far back as 1993, they had prepped that and but didn't release it until years after, you know, he'd hit it big with Rumble in the Bronx and Merrimack started burning off all the Hong Kong, some of the big Hong Kong movies they bought for American distribution. I think especially after Crouchy Tiger Hidden Dragon was a hit, I think then that also inspired them to put out more of that stuff like Iron Monkey and and uh, Legend of the Drunken Master, because I saw those around the same time in American theaters after years of seeing them on videotape multiple times
0: yeah i wanted to ask you about the the looping all the adr the the dubbing Mm -hmm. with rumble so i mean i could tell that was jackie's voice yeah but why are they dubbing everything why are they looping everything
1: half the film was in cantonese and um so they had to dub over all that and i can't remember how much of the canadian cast was dubbed I, i imagine it seems like maybe 80% of them were or something, but I think they just re the dialogue because some of the actors were not very good, but they seem to have kept a lot of the original dialogue, but I'm not going to, I don't have the time to go back and look at the Hong Kong version and say, oh, this is where they, <laughs> you know, because I don't like the movie that much. So it's like, it's it's fun, but boy, the dubbing is like the least important thing in these films. But they uh, they basically had to reloop all the Cantonese dialogue because Anita Mui did not speak English in the film. She spoke Cantonese in every scene oh, okay I, I
2: liked how it started off with him uh uncle bill picking him up at the airport and then on their way to the market or whatever mm-hmm. to his apartment he goes hey quang how's your english well oh, it's okay well let's use it and then uh, they just <laughs> yeah. start talking yeah i spoke cantonese like...
1: <laughs> for most of that stuff in the original hong kong version whatever what i recall it was a, a lot of it was in cantonese because it was it was shot for hong kong it was totally made for Hong Kong and Chinatowns around the world. So,
0: Because you could tell that, you know, like Garvin Cross, who played Angelo, and uh, Mark Ackerstrom played Tony. Mm-hmm. It seemed like that was their voice, but they were looping it. Like, what? They didn't have any yeah. boom mics? Couldn't afford boom um, mics?
1: <laughs> I think their performances were too, too off or something, and they were dubbed anyway. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's like... Like maybe the canadian accents were too much i, I don't remember because i haven't seen the hong kong version in forever and god willing i'll never see it again anyway but um it was just i believe maybe it was just something about the performances weren't forceful enough because those guys were like stuntmen and stuff they yeah right
0: really like real right.
1: actors like um i remember if you've ever seen the protector a really bad movie jackie chan made in 84 for the american market uh, the one of the villains is played by Bill Superfoot Wallace, who had done some American films at the time, like uh, a Chuck Norris film. um but his entire performance is dubbed. And they asked James Glickenhaus, why did you dub Bill Wallace? And he said, because his performance was terrible. So he said I had to I had to do something to save the performance, so I had him dubbed. So it just happens. It's like, um, you know do you are you familiar with the um the British actress Caroline Monroe? she's done like the hammer films and golden voyages send i Dad. think if
0: i saw her i would Star but... crash she really vaguely really
1: really beautiful brunette actress from the 70s and her voice is not in any of her films she's dubbed in everything except maybe mm-hmm. one uh just spinel film or something like a uh, maniac or the last horror film
0: okay But
1: she's mostly dubbed in everything and i oh, think wait,
0: caroline was, monroe she's in a she's a bond girl isn't she she was in, in Spy Love I Love Me,", Me right? Mm-hmm. She's the play. Yep. Uh, she's in the helicopter pilot.
1: Right, right. She winks at him or whatever, and he gets yeah. the three-dollar look, and then blows her up or whatever.
0: <laughs> she's like one of those half-assed Bond girls, where she's not the real, or even maybe she's not second really virus. a Bond she's girl, like the she, third.
1: She posed for lobby cards and posters. Thus, she's mm-hmm. a Bond girl. Yeah, <laughs> <And> she goes <laughs>
0: to the conventions and probably fucked Lazenby. Possibly. possibly.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he seems to have scored with a lot of them in his old old age.
0: Well, as he said, uh, Jim Jeffries talked about how Jim Jeffries had a show on Comedy Central and Lazenby played his father mm-hmm. and Ratsen- John Ratzenberger was also on the show and he said in the makeup trailer, Ratzenberger and Lazenby were bullshitting and I think Ratzenberger asked him, hey, uh, you ever sleep with any of the Bond girls? And he said, it'd be easier to tell you which ones I haven't fucked. <laughs> he sees them all at the conventions you know
1: yeah well um when i went to the dragon fest in la a couple of years ago which is a martial arts movie convention or the closest you'll get to something like that in america um they had announced george Lazenby would have a table there and i thought oh well cool i'll get to meet him and talk to him about you know making the jimmy wang Yu movie where wang Yu mm. supposedly beat him up through all the filming or whatever
0: you didn't want to ask him about never too young to die no, I was gonna
1: ask him about that because um, he probably wouldn't remember. Um, but I was walking into the place and he was there. I mean, he was walking in, but he was walking in as a customer. He was just he just wanted to come in and say hi to everybody. He didn't want to sit down and sign autographs. He was just coming in and saying hello to his friends. But um, what's her name? Uh, Gloria Hendry from "Live and Let Die." I think is her is her name. The uh, yeah. black guy? She was there and she was just going crazy for George. Oh, George. Oh, you know all excited to see him and everything. He's a tall dude in person. Like even mm. in his old age, he didn't get shorter. He's I, you would think huh. he was like a retired NBA player or something. Like he's really tall, but mm. he's going around shaking people's hands, but he was gone after like an hour. But I, I think he probably slept with Gloria Hendry, if anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. Speaking of bond, uh, pretty much. I think every Bond girl up until Diamonds Are Forever were dubbed.
1: Yeah. That was a standard practice back then. Um, the villains were often dubbed by the same actor who dubbed Goldfinger and dubbed uh, some mm-hmm. of the other villains. Uh, I think like Adolfo, Shelley, and um, Thunderball, uh, that the, that villain I think was also was dubbed because they were used these foreign actors who didn't speak the smoothest English, so you bring in an actor who specializes in foreign accents and there's your voice. And the same thing with the women, Danielle Bianchi and Ursula Andress uh, were dubbed by the same actress. Mm. Uh, Honor Blackman did her own voice, of course, because she was an English right. actress, but, and she was well known for the Avengers in England. So if she'd been dubbed, it would have been laughed out of theaters. Um, I
0: suppose. Um, Diana Rig was not, of course, No, left, Diana Rigg.
1: But... That's her voice. Uh, she was too well known especially in america and um i i'm, I'm sure the the two uh, japanese starlets in you only live twice were dubbed yeah probably by the same woman who dubbed ursula andress and Daniel <laughs>
0: well, watching rumble in the bronx before i knew that nancy and danny were i mean canadian or at least north american i forget if danny was canadian or not but like i was like god did they just hire people to do offensive stereotypical you know asian accents for the dubbing or <laughs> well, i thought well I maybe think that was
1: their real i think they kept their real voices
0: yeah they kept their real voices i mean because you could tell they were uh, inexperienced americanized they, they knew the language it was a first language for him you know right um but some of the other uh voices like like bill bill tongues and uh, other yeah. people like god this is really stereotypical is this their are they re- like jackie I knew that was his voice so I I could you know he is his English is I mean it's better now but it was okay then still right a little, a little broken but I thought some of the others were you know the other broken like bills and um elaine's I thought maybe they just hired somebody to
1: can you just sound chinese as it's like what they did. As a second um, language it's it's funny the voice actors they got for them for the 96 version um they, they kind of hyped up the stereotypes because it, the funny thing about dubbing, it's actually gotten far worse. It was better in the 70s when you had those intercontinental accents, you know, the mid-Atlantic accents or whatever they were using. It was far better for these films and those loopers for whatever reason could do the mouth movements and capture them and not be so stereotyped. And uh, But boy, by the 90s, the, uh, the quality of dubbing has gone way down. And uh, it's funny because not like Unbach and the two raid films were not hits in theaters. They they did they did good on video, but they weren't really big in theaters. And I had said, well, the problem is they should be dubbed. And I, and I'm thinking with all the money they have in Hollywood, why can't they assemble a decent team of dubbers for foreign films that are basically going to play to the action crowd that doesn't want to look at these awful subtitles in a really darkly photographed film. You know, like Ong which has a a very muddy look to it, or The Raid. It's like, reading is a chore, like watching these things. It's like, just give them a good dub job. Besides, hearing the Thai language and hearing uh, the Indonesian language spoken in the Raid films, it's not really soft or melodic to American ears. (laughs) Thai is very harsh. And um, it's like, these should be dubbed. It's like, that crowd wants dubbing. Why can't you hire really good English dubbers? They just they don't have that anymore because it's not expected of any film and uh, it's not expected of foreign films because i don't know they they act like the art house people are the only ones who want to see this stuff and art house people hate action films they hate martial arts movies Mm -hmm. just because they temporarily like jackie chan and john woo doesn't mean they want to watch more you know it's just it's, it's a weird thing about the market here that no one understands that it's And I think we've gotten to a thing where we're afraid of dubbing or something, or they're afraid to dub these films. But in the 60s and 70s, that's how Gen X and Baby Boomers actually got into foreign films was watching dubbed Fellini on the UHF channel or dubbed (laughs) Italian movies, French films, Alan Delon movies, Jean-Paul Belmondo films were all dubbed in English and shown on local TV. And that's where people became fans of the stuff. But nowadays nobody cares about anything kids really aren't even in the movies and i think one problem is by not dubbing them you make them inaccessible to children who would probably dig some of this stuff you know tony josh should be huge with kids and he's not it's really weird
0: i remember bringing this up on the mmc facebook page probably three four years ago yeah and then when i was going to uh film classes in college a lot of international film classes i there was one that was even a just straight Truffaut. The whole thing was Truffaut. Right. And I had that professor for several international cinema classes, and he always preached, got to watch the subtitles. It's the most accurate translation. However, that was basically European films, um, some Japanese, Korean, not a, whole, not a lot of Asian stuff. It was mostly European because, I mean, the Truffaut and the Godard and New Wave and all that stuff and Fellini mm-hmm. and whatnot, but you kind of talked about how accurate the uh, Chinese dubs are for a lot of the films of that era. right? And that they're more accurate than anything, even more accurate than the subtitles. Yeah. And I think it it does warrant dubbing, the action, because it's, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you're watching it for the action, you're not watching it for the performances. Right, right, because they're shot the without with sound anyway. You know?
1: they're, they're not shot with sound. or at least before 1993 they didn't use sound from the sets they um because they they figured we're going to dub this in all sorts of languages including Mm -hmm. the two chinese dialects so why bother recording sound there's no reason to so jackie chan had a dubbing voice actor uh, until he held out for more money uh before the release of city hunter so boom uh jackie got a new dubbing voice for a couple of films uh (laughs) from city hunter and on and um they just it's like over there they don't care and it also allows them to make movies quicker because you only got to do one take sure and if the actor doesn't want to remember the dialogue he'd just go one two three four five six seven eight nine ten and they'll just dub in whatever they need to to make the scene move along because Cynthia Rothrock said when she was making films over there she didn't know what to say and they said just count to 15 to and then we'll just dub everything in later <laughs> we'll dub in your Chinese <laughs> don't worry about it you know because to them it's visual and Especially from, like, 1970, I'd say 75 to about uh, 1991, you had the most visually confident cinema in the world because they were mm-hmm. only concerned about the visual. Everything else was later, and um, it that worked great for them. And uh, after that, when they started bringing in the sync sound, I'm not saying it had an effect, but I do notice that the quality of, of Hong Kong cinema seemed to just nosedive. It really declined after, like, 92 when they started actually recording the actors' voices. And one reason they did it is because Hong Kong is so noisy, it's, like, almost impossible to get good sound takes anyway. Like, it's traffic everywhere. You know, if you ever watch those old blooper shows, like, they would film on a beach, like, some Hollywood production, and a plane would fly over and screw up the actors' lines and stuff. And it's like, in Hong Kong, they they didn't have to worry about that because they weren't going to worry about sound because traffic outside was going to have honking horns anyway, so... You know, people's yeah. cell phones going off constantly. The director's probably watching the horse races like Lil Wei was supposedly doing on the set of the Bruce Lee films. So it's just like, they don't want to worry about that. So they're just visually concentrating on what you see on the screen. Sure. And the dubbers from the 70s, by the way, were from the radio business. And I think that's okay. what helped. I think the problem is the dubbers they have now, like in California for to do the dubbing on the home video releases because that's the only time you ever hear it um i think they all come from acting and they come from movie and tv and i think the old dubbers even the ones in new york who used to dub all the aip stuff like the godzilla films they came from radio you will hear pete fernandez the voice of speed racer and racer x on uh 1950s old-time radio shows like x minus one and dimension x so it's um it's a different experience i think you you learn to act better with your voice on radio i think
0: the film professor i'm talking about is he was my favorite one. I, I learned a lot from him, but I don't think he watched a lot of Kung Fu. No, he no, a, probably not. He was a double PhD in poetry and philosophy. So, and yeah, he's, he's from... Yeah, not going uh, watching
1: Kung Fu other than the Carradine show.
0: He was Spanish-French. Was it uh, Catalonian? hmm He's from that region. So, yeah, he's, you know, his hero was Truffaut and all that. So, right, I'm sure right. he wasn't watching a lot of Asian cinema.
1: No, but, no, um, it, it- at best he might watch an Alain Delon movie that is imitating Asian cinema because Delon was a huge fan of Hong Kong cinema. <laughs> and actually had his own Hong Kong movie production company for a couple of years. He liked the cinema so much. He learned Cantonese and um <laughs> produced a couple of action films, I guess, just just for him to enjoy.
0: <laughs> Isn't that the uh one of like the hardest languages to learn, basically?
1: It's in I've tried, it's impossible because it's tonal. So for Americans or English speakers, we're just like it's it's a little out out of our grasp. It's very difficult.
2: Unless you're John Cena.
1: But yeah, apparently. <laughs> you, you gotta memorize Mandarin <laughs> propaganda to tell the PRC.
0: so uh, well, that's a nice segue. Uh isn't Jackie quite the fan of the CCP?
1: Uh yeah, he's become a commie in recent years, and um <laughs> us old school fans kind of call him King commie now because he's <laughs> just a complete suck up to the PRC's hated in hong kong they can't stand him now um i think his last 10 years worth of films were not even released in hong kong theaters because he was bad-mouthing the city in the um national chinese press and so there was a hatred developed of him especially around the time of the olympics when they had him in beijing and that's when a lot of his quotes came out and turns out no he always wanted to be a, a top commie and he's uh because his father was like in the Chinese military or something, and he wanted to live up to that reputation or some nonsense. He's he he came off very very bad. Supposedly, he fired his his longtime manager Willie Chan in the late nineties or early double I might be wrong about that. I quit keeping up with the guy around the time I saw The Accidental Spy, which was one of the worst films I've ever seen of any <laughs> of any actor. And um I did what enjoy. What about Shame the tuxedo? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't even bother with that. For once, I, I didn't go see it. one of his movies in the in the cinema. But, I, uh, thought you, I thought
0: you didn't mind Rush Hour. You, you don't like Rush Hour at all?
1: I don't care for Rush Hour. I saw it, and I was just like, where are the fights? And then I saw Rush Hour 2, and that was better because it had more action. But I'm not a Chris Tucker fan, and I don't mm-hmm. like Brett Ratner's style. <laughs> and it's just, there's not a lot for me to dig there. But Rush Hour 2 was better than the first one.
0: What about Shanghai Knights? Or, no, I like Shanghai, Shanghai Knights
1: quite a bit. I thought he had good chemistry with Owen Wilson. Sure. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a Terrence Hill, Bud Spencer vibe. And I right, Yeah, yeah that's a good point i had a lot of fun with those uh those two movies are a lot of fun and i didn't even mind around the world in 80 days even though ah, i never saw that's, that that's like this black mark on his filmography i'm like what compared to the accidental spy are you kidding me so it's like <laughs> that, that was a chinese
0: production wasn't it or was it hollywood
1: it was hollywood um it was uh they said it's a
0: remake like, but yeah, and something. the Hong
1: Kong guys came in for one scene at the end where they're in China. Oh, okay. And yeah. That's pretty cool. And um, but the the rest of the film, it's fun. I you just don't take it seriously. It's a kid's film. You know, for a kiddie film, it's pretty good.
0: Uh steered back towards Rumble, I guess a little bit. Um okay. Brett, what were your I mean, this is your first time seeing it. What were your favorite uh
2: action? What was your favorite action set piece? Ooh, that's a good question. Um i liked when they pulled the store down that was pretty cool <laughs> they just set up it's, a big pole barn for those like the most ridiculous thing Well, until they get that hovercraft out there later uh. why is it a three-story supermarket they had
0: like the three stories it's only the first level of the supermarket and there was like you know a, i guess a media room and a bathroom upstairs and but you know it's just like a it whole... was like
2: she moved in upstairs, like when they uh, it did kind of seem like she was living there, but they they trashed the store earlier in the movie and then they renovated it in like one day. <laughs> 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 it was like one afternoon they renovated it and they added an apartment upstairs, like she was gonna live up there or something. <laughs>
1: The, Ch- the Chinese idea of what buildings in New York are like—I don't know. I have no idea.
2: I, <laughs> I did like out. too when they uh when they caught the guy stealing, and then Jackie just like makes like hundreds of dollars more in damage, stopping him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about these drinks? What? You drank these back there. You want me to pay for this stuff? Why don't you drink it, huh? Huh? Here, try some. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. What's this stupid bitch talking about, huh? You stealing? Why? Oh, yeah, stealing. I'll it. stealing. I'll it. stealing. I'll it. Say it again. Come on. I'll it. Hey. What's up? You got the problem? Yo!
1: Hey, what you doing, man?
2: so you're a tough guy huh no no trouble i'm sorry i'm wrong They're you I... you shut up he, he stole like 10 20 dollars worth of stuff and he just starts throwing him across the store it's the honorable thing to do.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like the uh, Bruce Lee movie, Way of the Dragon, which inspired this a little bit, uh, where throughout the whole film, it, the gangsters just want their restaurant, and any logical person is going to say, well, just sell the goddamn restaurant and move <laughs> to another part of Rome. Relocate. <laughs> Get a better space with the money. Who who knows? The sky's the limit. But for some reason, they won't sell the restaurant. doesn't make any <laughs> sense at all. It's like, so, uh, so much for... Greatest martial arts movie star of all time making this movie with this dumb plot with his dumb family that won't sell this stupid restaurant. I thought that was every every dream, everybody's dream is like, okay, I started a business and somebody buys it out from under me and I can I can take that money and just go buy a bigger place.
2: Yeah. And
1: what was that. It's it's just logic. Well,
2: the only reason the gang was going after them in the first place is because they're racing another gang in the alley outside Uncle Bill's yeah. apartment. On top of the parked cars and Jackie stopped them from driving over Uncle Bill's borrowed vintage limo.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's not, I wonder if the script was better. Who knows? <laughs> I doubt it. It
0: yeah, basically escalates from there. There's more interactions between Jackie and the gang. It gets more violent. They bat some
2: uh, glass bottles at him and then Allie <laughs> yeah. for about 10 minutes. <sighs>
0: White Tiger and his uh, well-dressed uh, crime syndicate show up halfway through the yeah. film with a bunch of diamonds trying to uh, make a
2: deal with another gang. I was confused. They pretended to be the feds, but then they weren't. And...
1: <laughs> well, the <laughs> they, missing they... diamonds. The hidden diamonds thing is like straight out of a Buster Keaton movie.
2: They, so- they sold the diamonds, and the but then elements. they wanted the diamonds back because the guy got an accent of... Well,
0: Jackie Chan is
2: straight out of a Buster
0: Keaton movie, right?
1: Pretty much, and then you have the MacGuffin, which is the diamonds, and they work all that in. And it's—I think most of the audience is just like, "Can we just get to the next stunt? We get to the next action scene?"
0: Well, uh, they—they probably put the diamonds in last minute because the MacGuffin of Danny's fucking cushion wasn't good enough.
2: (laughs) You always tell me to stay home. How about you? You always go out, every day. I bet you don't even remember the last time you took me to the park.
1: I have to work, you know. Who else is going to support us?
2: Support, support. I told you I need a new cushion. But you never buy me one. You just ignore me. See? I'm
1: sorry.
0: I'll get you one tomorrow.
1: Yeah, Jackie Bryant went to Vancouver Chinatown and they're like, you know, these cushions only cost like five bucks. Oh, that's (laughs) diamonds! There's going to be diamonds I got to get because we know gangsters in America are all about diamonds. (laughs) Nancy's living a
0: life of crime to pay for a new cushion for her brother.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Might have worked if Harvey Keitel played one of the gangsters. (laughs) Anybody can move ice!
0: (laughs) Oh. Juicy, um, real juicy. That's what we could have used Lord Tyranny. He should have yeah, been a white it, tiger.
1: So better acting might have helped. <laughs> no well, thanks, at point, Canada. I, at one point,
2: Jackie goes and beats up the gang at their at their hideout, and then afterward, he's like, Next time I'd rather have tea with you. <laughs> 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 and the the one guy that speaks Chinese, he's like he translates it cuz he said it in chinese and tony goes did he mean it <laughs> yeah and then after that they're all friends
0: yeah <laughs> cuz the the other henchman of his came in with the dead henchman in the in the, <laughs> in the garbage bag <laughs>
2: to talk i want my diamonds back now. okay boys <peine> it's your turn
0: i didn't realize before watching this again that uh fargo ripped off woodchipper from rumble in the bronx
1: they might have fargo was
0: 96
1: yeah, yeah. coen <laughs> brothers you never know you never know what they're digging on. <laughs>
0: Especially nowadays, I'm I'm kind of uh, scared to watch the new trailer from Ethan Cohen.
1: Oh God! I don't I know what the it hell today. it is. Oh, I, I saw, it saw before that before Asteroid Day. City. Yeah. Oh Lord. Okay. Oh, yeah. looks like I I absolutely not going to see that movie. The, the brothers wrong. they
0: need to squash their beef. They need to get back together.
1: Yeah, this is that's not going to go anywhere. Nobody's going to go see that thing.
0: Somebody is saying like, well, Joel's you know he's older than Ethan. He was probably doing different things. It's like, well fucking francis mcdormand is still doing work she's still working yeah why can't joel get back with your brother
1: yeah i think they need to bounce ideas off of each other for quality control i think that helps a great deal yeah
0: they probably help edit each other
1: right right and they say no that's a dumb idea we should have them throw them in the wood chipper like that jackie chan movie we just watch <laughs> oh okay <laughs>
2: are you telling me that joel would have told ethan that it's a bad idea to have margaret Qualley playing a southern accented lesbian
1: (laughs) he might have said something. he said hey could you at least make one of them look like a cinemax lesbian it's gonna help the box (laughs) office it's at least five million more at the box office Mm. this is not we're not exactly talking uh jennifer tilly and gina gershon here (laughs) we're talking about something that's not gonna bring the dudes in
0: no i finally saw bound about a month ago oh really
2: before (laughs) yeah Uh Yeah, i watched it about a year ago i was uh pleasantly surprised
1: saw in a theater in florida when i was living there
2: i was even more surprised when i got to the end than i saw the director credit oh yeah (laughs) i I didn't know beforehand the The wachowski Wachowski brothers
1: (laughs) (laughs) whatever they are now
2: it says brothers and i was offended i I wrote a certain letter to whoever I watched. They it changed on. it on letterboxed. I think it's or if it says sisters now or
0: siblings on letterboxed. Well, it probably just shows all of those goddamn of them with their current names. <laughs> they did uh they did update
1: it. Those weirdos.
0: Although this seems like they've had a falling out too, because they don't want to work together.
1: Well, they probably can't stand each other. But one
0: did revolutions by herself.
1: Yeah, because one of them was like, you know, hey, I chopped off my uh Moose Squirrel. You need to chop off yours well no you already chopped off yours the deal is done like and eh, we're just the wachowski siblings <laughs> we're beyond gender now
0: the big brother little brother dynamic where one's always trying to copy the other
1: yeah a couple <laughs> of hacks basically Oh, gee, we need innovative action scenes. Oh, let's, let's get Yu and Wu-Ping and just have him redo the fights from Iron Monkey and Fist of Legend with Keanu Reeves.
0: And let's get Jet Li and then really piss him off and make him leave. Which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jet Li and other, uh, you know, Jackie helped Jet Li become big in the 90s because well, about two years after Jackie made it big in the U.S., so did Jet Li. Right.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of... There were attempts to, I think, make a deal with Jet Li even before Rumble in the Bronx. What happened was, the, I'm, I can't forget this because this is what actually set everything in motion. And it's a film I don't like at all. But Dragon, the Bruce Lee story being a big hit when it was released in theaters is actually what opened the floodgates for studios to start thinking, hey, if you release a movie with a a martial arts film with a Chinese lead, it actually makes money white people will go see a movie with a Chinese lead. That's what Dragon the Bruce Lee story proves. But that's when I think they started looking at Jackie Chan movies and, and making a deal with Jet Lee to bring him over to um to, to kind of import that that style of action. Because Dragon the Bruce Lee story was for America a very significant production. As much as I hate to admit it because I don't like the film at all. But, you know. And Jason Scott Lee was supposed to be a big star and it looked like he was. and then, I guess he made Rapa Nui and then that bombed and he lost all of his deals for that he had across town for different films. So weird as it seems.
0: I mean, it seems like it was a bit of a, an Asian invasion. I mean, John Woo, hard -hmm. target is 95, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. That was
0: his first foray into the U S market basically.
1: And that was in the works for years because he was working on a deal with Scorsese in like 1990. Um, He was in talks for hard target, I think in uh, also in 1990. And, uh, supposedly even in 89 he was in talks to do a i think it was Simon Ree a Simon Ree movie or a Philip Ree movie one of the brothers from best of the best they had okay. him signed to do an action movie called Cato, and it was going to be written by David chow the splatterpunk writer mm. he wrote the script and um it was it was going to have one of the Ree brothers as the lead hero and um it was going to have a lot of gun action and some martial arts and it was never made for whatever reason and then um and then Hard Target and a movie for Scorsese that never got made called Dirty Boulevard was in the works. And then Wu ends up doing the Van Dam film, and that was apparently a pretty heated deal. Um, because I just read a Craig Baxley autobiography where he talked about how he was brought in for this uh to in talks to do a Van Damme movie called Hard Target. And he says, Wait a minute, weren't you guys signing John Wu to do this? and And they said, well, we want to talk to you in case it doesn't work out. And he found out later that if John Woo um, insisted on using his Hong Kong stunt crew, they would fire him and hire Craig Baxley or another director to do the film. But Mm -hmm. if he didn't fight for his stunt crew, he would be able to direct the film and they'd see how it worked out because they were very cautious about dealing with Woo because all of the movies he made in Hong Kong were shot without sound and they didn't know if it was going to work. So, yeah, that's the type of thinking they had in Hollywood at the time. Was he with Golden Harvest? Woo. Woo started out, I think his a lot of his big work was with Golden Harvest, but other than the Michael Hoy uh comedy Private Eyes, I don't think anything was much of a big hit. I think maybe his um uh a movie he made with a uh, Ricky Hoy, uh Michael's brother called um I think it's Easy Money or not Easy Money. It's a uh, it's a different title. Title escapes me right now, but Um, I think it's Money Crazy. That was a big hit. And I think he did a movie called Carry On Pickpocket that was a big hit. But then he started having flops when he started trying to make action movies. Like when he made comedies, they were hits. When he made action movies, they weren't. And then he went to Cinema City, which was a rival studio, and he made A Better Tomorrow. And A Better Tomorrow was the biggest Hong Kong hit of all time and made Chow Yun-Fat a major star throughout Asia. And that's what really kicked off John Woo's career. And apparently after A Better Tomorrow was a big hit in hong kong that's when universal started screening his films like they would have a print delivered to universal studios and they checked it out and um they uh they said to a rep they said does this director speak english and uh, the rep said he's learning so they they knew mm-hmm. something was happening right there and then john Wu became a big favorite at international film festivals and that kind of started his rep and you know i like some of his american films but personally i think he kind of squandered his career in hollywood
0: Tony and Fat was another one that came here in the 90s. and um, Miscast and everything. (laughs) I remember (laughs) like The Replacement Killers was like a cult hit for like six years. And then nobody ever talked about it ever again after about 2003.
1: I thought it was just a watered down imitation of the John Woo stuff. It's like, why don't you just get one of the Hong Kong directors to to direct this? Why do you get this guy who can't direct to make it? And then (laughs) 20 years later, Antoine Fuqua is like the most... Dependable uh, action <laughs> director in Hollywood, even though I don't like his films, but whatever. You um, mean the
2: director man. of Training Day?
1: Yeah, I don't like that film at all. Con,
2: but... it's I don't like Training Day. Hey young
1: blood, we just met. Let me tell you about my whole operation. All in one, all in one hour. <laughs> Come on, be a corrupt cop with me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I do like that film, but it's only because of Denzel's performance. There's nothing. Yeah, everybody loves Evil
1: Denzel, like Hunter Ducing says. Everybody just loves <laughs> you know. Evil Evil Denzel. Yeah. You That's know. the only reason anybody likes
2: It's not what you know, it's what you can prove. <laughs> and <laughs> to tell you the truth, that movie still
0: disappoints me because at the time, Denzel was my favorite actor. That was a few years of my life. I still like Denzel a lot.
1: I like that him was a, a lot. A He's a good actor.
0: A few years in my life where he was my favorite. And Training Day was like the most anticipated movie of my life up until that point basically. Right. And I remember I went I went and saw it and I was like, you know, I was sh- probably shocked because he wasn't the good guy. Right. But, you know, I still liked it, but I was just like, yeah, still it's it's a good performance, but it's you know, it's one of those things where it's, you know, Paul Newman won for The Color of Money when he should have won for The Hustler and all that.
1: Right, right.
0: Not to say that he wasn't worthy with Training Day, but I know I've seen plenty of better performances from him. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, it's still like I like it, but everything after that is just, it gets worse and worse with Fuqua.
1: Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't care. He, he really doesn't.
0: Everything he does now is so bad. It
1: is the worst of the worst. He's a hack. He's like the worst hack there is. It's like <laughs> he, he found an easy job and he found his niche and
0: he had he, one he hit was... because of Denzel and it gave him an entire
1: decades Mm
0: -hmm. spanning career decades plural even on all
1: of his movies make money that's the strange thing they're they do well
2: even on the trailer for uh equalizer 3 they put his name up there it doesn't say from the director of training day but it says uh from director Antoine Fuqua (laughs) like he's He's, still a selling point he's an tour now
1: (laughs) i don't get it i i guess i have a weirder or a different standard for a solid action movie than, you know, the rest of uh rest of the world.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's just his stuff is very unmemorable to me. Well, though yeah. my friend Mike Baron, the comic book writer, who's written something like seven thousand issues of the Punisher, he loves Antoine Fuqua's movies. He's always messing with me and messaging me. You get to go see Fuqua's doing. <laughs> have you Have you seen the Jake Gyllenhaal boxing movie yet? And I was like, Oh, will you leave me alone with him. I just
2: watched the first Equalizer movie. Like a couple weeks ago, and like it, I was not impressed
1: at all. That's bad.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, it's and not even t- like an action flick.
1: No, it's terrible. It's like, um, it's like I like the, the old TV show with Ed Woodward, which the movies really have nothing to do with. Other than I think I used- waited
0: all week for the fucking equalizer. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we called him Mad Max because of his hair trigger temper, which could be set off by something as innocuous as a ringing telephone.
2: Who the fuck has the goddamn gall to call his house on a Tuesday night? God damn it! You're going to
1: miss it! Oh, please, tell me something I don't know. I wait all week for the fucking equalizer, and they have to fucking... Hello? But as soon as he picked up the phone... Gene, how are you, Gene? He'd affect this weird British accent. right out, Gene, that'd be great. Cheerio. It was absolutely bizarre fucking half-wit and then he's Mad Max all over again All right, tell me what happened what happened
2: Well, he discovered it was the mother's sister Who's he
1: who tell me who he is the main
2: guy you know who the main main guy guy. it was his mother's sister. She showed up dead
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is it's like why didn't they have him as a british agent? Turn domestic, you know, vigilante. Why not? Why not have Denzel do a British accent? That would make it weird. It's like, <laughs> I thought actors love being challenged in, for performances. It's like, why not do that? It's like um, that story that uh, Bad Day at Black Rock, a great classic Spencer Tracy movie. The only way they got Spencer Tracy to do that film is they rewrote the character to be uh, handicapped and have one, you know, one good <laughs> arm. And that's the only way to get an actor like Spencer Tracy to do a movie like that. Why not do something for Denzel like that? Hey, you got to do this with a British accent, brush up on your Ed Woodward impression, and then, you know, make it weird. It's like, why not? It's like, um, I always feel like movies today, they're very, they don't try. They don't even want to take a risk. It's like uh, Captain America. Why not have him punch Hitler? It's a movie. (laughs) Have fun. That's the most iconic comic book cover of all time. Have Captain America punch Hitler. <laughs> Why not? Like, what the hell? It's a movie. You do whatever the hell you want. You know, it's not real.
0: Zolly was a yes.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's very toyetic. Isn't that his word?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, toyetic.
1: Yeah, toyetic. Hey, toyetic.
0: Well, uh, John, it's about 9:55. How much uh time do you think you have for us? Uh, we can whatever, do- you,
1: whatever you need. I don't know if there's anything else to say about rumble in the bronx so this kind of fluke sleeper hit that um was uh basically the 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 big hit for jackie the funny thing is i have two stories i can tell about some behind the scenes stuff and um we're all ears one is very peripheral um a friend of mine who if you listen to the show you probably figure out who it is uh but i'm not going to quote because i'm going to quote jackie i'm not going to name him he went to see Jackie around 1997 or 98, visit him in Hong Kong to see about working for him because he had martial arts skills and he could, he could do stunts and stuff and he wanted to work on his stunt team or work in his movies. And he says he, uh, that Jackie's like smiling, waving to all the reporters and everything and the fans and gets, but shuts the door in the office. And uh, a friend is sitting right there. Jackie pulls out a cigarette, lights it and starts going, "fuck oh, shit," just every word in the book. <laughs> He goes, why America like me now? I too old. <laughs> he goes, why now? <laughs> and um, so that was that was his real feeling at the time. Um, <laughs> so and also on the set of rush hour, um, or rush hour 2, is um you know, Chris Tucker didn't turn off his cell phone when they were doing takes when they were working. And so the cell his cell phone rang all the time, and apparently. Jackie would just look over the side and go, fucking Chris. <laughs> and that's what he called him all the time. He couldn't stand him. The uh, The other story is uh, Garrow, a regular on the Midnight Movie Cowboys, was working at a poster shop. And uh, the poster shop had ordered 100 copies of the Rumble in the Bronx movie poster from New Line because they were thinking <laughs> it would sell like crazy. The 100 posters arrive. The new line poster is basically just a big fist on the poster and it says Jackie Chan rumble of the pros. Wow. <laughs> it does they were so scared to put his face on the poster. It's just a fist, the worst poster of all time and I know that the shop owner was very irate when that happened but those, those are the three odd memories. of. They were hoping
0: people were going to confuse it with a German expressionist film, Rumblefish? Yeah, or something. Apparently,
1: <laughs> that's what people in Kansas really want. They want German expressionism <laughs> with a title like Rumble in the Bronx. They, they don't want to see a Chinese face on a poster. I really think a lot of the times you always hear, oh, audiences were scared to see Bruce Lee without his Kato bass. That's all baloney. That's just studio execs being <laughs> jackasses because they true. assume the worst of people it really is they're, ju-
2: they're just projecting their own prejudice yeah. prejudices yes on middle america
1: yes exactly complete projection
0: um i had a couple questions for you mm-hmm. so jackie chan he starred in some films with michelle yo right do they get along in real life
1: as far as i know maybe they do i i don't know about jackie these days um the funny thing about michelle she's not from hong kong she's Malaysian, right
0: right, she's not right even, yeah
1: she's not even technically chinese so i only
0: found that um, out when they talked about it you know this year leading up to the oscars but right right i always figured um, she was chinese
1: yeah, she only yeah, she,
2: identifies as asian
1: yeah she's, <laughs> she's 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 malaysian i don't know how close she is to to jackie she's probably closer to stanley tong because I, I think she was like good friends with, she did other movies with him like project s i think she may have actually made more movies with Stanley Tong than Jackie so or then Stanley made with Jackie. So she was um,
0: also kind of a mainstay of the Golden Harvest, right?
1: Um she actually started D B films, although she did some cameo or small roles for at least one Golden Harvest production. I think she did a movie called Easy Money that was a complete plagiarism of the Thomas Crown affair for the Steve McQueen version, not the Pierce Brosnan one. And had like no action and I think it was actually um made for golden harvest and then she married dixon poon uh stewart's favorite the name stewart's name for (laughs) dixon any any guy in hong kong uh she married him and he uh set up a film deal for her at his uh film production company dnb films and that started with yes madam and then there was royal warriors they recently released a box set with her um with yes madam and royal warriors on it and um so she she did films for dmb and she a few others and then she retired when she married dixon um and then when they got a divorce <laughs> and the rumor always was that she caught him in bed with Aaron quo so you know you got your mick jagger david bowie urban legend for everything these days <laughs> um with michelle being uh i guess bianca jagger i don't know and uh so then she makes it decides to make a comeback in films and she does super cop and that was sort of her comeback movie the gimmick they sold was jackie kind of stood aside and let her be the star which he did because he's really lazy in that film and um that's kind of what happened and she was kind of back as a star in hong kong and uh she did really well she and oh and she was another one of those beauty queens signed to a movie deal and then she's trained for the film okay screen fighting and acting and, and everything else i don't think she was a singer though
0: I saw a post in MMC a couple weeks ago about four film sets Michelle Yeoh. I forget the mm-hmm. series of films uh, the in the, the line, line of duty series in the line so, of uh, duty yes
1: highly recommended at least it, it's worth it it's got yes madam which is Cynthia Rothrock's best film and Michelle Yo's best film and it has uh in the line of duty four with Donnie Yin and the mm. Taiwanese replacement for Michelle Yo for dnb film Cynthia Khan who I actually think is prettier and better looking um but in the line of duty for the witness is donnie yen's best movie it's uh and it's yin wu ping's best modern day film it's spectacular it is one action scene to the next without being annoying or stupid somehow it works it's just like one set piece after another and um at least partially filmed in seattle and some really good location work in seattle <laughs> huh. but a, a really good movie but that that box set is well worth getting it's a lot of fun okay you talk about yeah. live action comic books To me, when I was a. Oh, we lose John?
2: Uh No, you froze John. Because you're going to get the whole story out, and we didn't get any of it.
0: Come back to us, John. Oh, there he is.
1: <laughs> yeah. Is he going to record this or are you going to have to start a new uh, session? It's still
0: recording.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, so we go. Cool. Well, just have um, to start the story over. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, yeah, but uh, they did bring over a and brother for the Daredevil movie and that wasn't that good, but you know it's funny had they done that in the 80s i think it would have been pretty amazing had they had the thought oh let's bring over some hong kong talent to do a daredevil film in like 1986 and you'd have no cgi nonsense or stupidity
0: the reason i ask about jackie and michelle yo is it's funny that i didn't really care for everything everywhere all at once Mm -hmm. i haven't seen it i thought it was hilarious that jackie said that he had that kind of throwaway comment about yeah, they offered it to me, but I said, nah <laughs> it's kind of like giving <laughs> Michelle yo shit and then and was, this is before she won the Oscar. yeah, this was kind of like when it was doing well in theaters right. for a quite a they had a lot of staying power in the theaters
2: it was, yeah. it was, it was like she got his sloppy
1: seconds <laughs> <laughs> well, he probably didn't do it because it had a bunch of doesn't have gay stuff in it?
0: uh well, there is the that. yeah, that,
1: yeah that's probably why Jackie turned it down.
0: That and there's some people that jump aggressively into butt plugs. Oh yeah. Yeah. That uh... that would
1: definitely keep Jackie from doing it.
0: But um and there's it's some not getting released in China. <laughs> yeah. Well there's no I'm trying to think now, there isn't many black people, so you would I think it would be
2: released in China. But
1: if you got gay stuff, they don't like they don't want that stuff seen in their theaters.
2: Sure. I mean it does have Jamie Lee Curtis in it, so <laughs>
1: Yeah, like oh no hermaphrodite.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jamie curtis says uh, Michelle yo all brainwashed now that she's being mistreated by Hollywood and like she doesn't get any good roles. And she's like, oh, by the way, I'm in this brand new Disney Plus Marvel series. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> which I probably got millions of dollars. Isn't for. the
1: whole business going to streaming anyway? It's like, what are they expecting?
0: Well, she said she took a two year break after Tomorrow Never Dies. Because she didn't want to be typecast. And I'm thinking like, nobody would hire me. You were a Bond girl at the you know, at the top of the world. That was, you know, Goldeneye was a hit. Tomorrow Never Dies was did pretty well. You're a yeah. Bond girl. And I'd say one of the better Bond girls. You know, she probably the most physically gifted Bond girl in the series. Right. And you're gonna turn like what are you trying to do in your career? It's like, I'm sure she was offered every action role under the sun and she's just going to turn them down for two years.
1: I have an answer. Uh, her manager at the time was Terrence Chang, who also managed John Woo and can probably be blamed for destroying John Woo's Hollywood career <laughs> and having it crash and burn. So, and I think, I think she made like one superhero movie, like Silver Hawk or some piece of junk. And then, um and then she does Crouchy Tiger, Hidden Dragon kind of has a comeback then. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of got that Mickey Rourke vibe where she has the comeback every four or five years and then you'll, okay. you hear the sob stories, but then they have the, the big acclaimed comeback. It's a, it's a strange thing with her, but I've, I've seen her in movies that didn't get much attention over here. Like the soon sisters where it, which was a biography film about some performers. in um, I believe in China, I saw it years ago. I don't remember much about it, but she was still doing a lot of work in, in Hong Kong and, um, and I think there was there was some there was some other stuff that was done. um, I get her career sometimes confused with Maggie Chung, who is a big star in Hong Kong, but then she marries a French director and then makes weird French art films so
0: mm. well I, I know Brett and I can handle the fun facts by ourselves, but uh we don't want to take up too much of your time. Brett, is there anything else you wanted to ask uh, John about Rumble the Bronx or Jackie Chan?
2: No this is pretty. Uh in-depth episode on jackie chan here I, I think we've covered enough
1: that's what i was hoping yeah. for you know
2: i, I knew they
1: would it would turn to that yeah I, I didn't have to talk about his uh him picking the big brawl to get away from the triads that's on what? another podcast <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you could also speaking of the triads i read a little something about um sorry the the singer cantonese singer in rumble
1: oh yeah Anita Moy. yeah
0: so on their wikipedia page there's some very it's like a very vague paragraph towards the end of like her uh personal life and it's like she was involved with uh or she was inundated with rumors and whatnot and one of them claimed she was linked to a killing of a triad boss
1: do you know anything about this i think it was like a manager of hers who was actually a triad Dilo, big brother whatever i I'm not really sure because I'm very vague on a lot of that stuff because okay. it was reported over here it was all rumor and innuendo and you didn't know what was true. Okay. And at the time we were inundated with so-called Hong Kong movie experts who were just making things up. And, um, it just, I, I never looked into it too much, but I know that pretty much every long-standing actor in Hong Kong has worked for the triads. And in Jackie mm. Chan's case, he was actually part of the Triads. Oh wow. Like it's funny, they made some headlines over here because I think in ninety two or ninety-one they did this march. Uh it was supposed to be Hong Kong uh movie talent against or entertainers against the triads, but they were actually marching for the control of another triad faction. <laughs> so <laughs> it's um it's a strange thing. It's it's really weird the the ties of of um organized crime and and the hong kong movie industry and uh like stephen chow the star of kung fu hustle um he tried to move to canada relocate before the 97 takeover or handover in uh like 95 or 96 and his application was rejected because of his triad ties Mm. and canada at that time was giving citizenships to almost any hong kong citizen that wanted it and uh Stephen chow was rejected so he was back to hong kong and working for the triads and um working for uh charles hung and uh and other uh shady characters but um but later he became probably the richest entertainer in in china i believe he, just from his filmmaking he kind of became the steven spielberg of china huh. so it worked out well for him
0: okay um well it, it, unless there's anything else you'd like to add john we could rate this and we could get you out of here
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Um, what what uh, rating do you get? What rating system? <laughs> well, we can do you? both.
0: I know the MMC does uh, zero to ten. And right. And we have a five-tiered system where it's top of the heap is ASAP. that goes down to Soonish. The middle tier is Eventually, which is kind of an official stamp of approval. And then it's right. Last Resort and Never.
1: Middle tier. Eventually. Yeah. I, I don't think it's Essential Jackie, but I think for Americans who don't watch Hong Kong movies, or or haven't seen many of them. It's probably a decent, safe, accessible, entry level film for him. But I think he's he's made many many better movies. You know, particularly Project A or Snake and Eagle Shadow. There's a there's a lot of better films there. I think that I would go with. But you know, people like stuff that seems made that it's fake American. They love that something that could almost pass as an American film. Sure because the, to them hong kong movies aren't real movies or foreign films aren't real movies you know <laughs> why
0: would you say uh you like this over first strike or i haven't seen first strike since the 90s then were you saying like oh you you hate first strike so i was like oh let's do rumble
1: i do hate first strike um the problem is around the time he was getting a lot of international hype he's the next buster keaton uh he's the new charlie chaplin he's sure. so inspired by buster keaton and gene kelly he decides in his films he doesn't actually want to fight and i watch a jackie chan movie to to see him do his moves and fight he mm-hmm. got into the idea where he's constantly playing these chicken shit characters that run and throw furniture at people while they're running <laughs> that's all he does like he doesn't fight he doesn't that's engage it, it became about the stunts and and no fighting and um it culminated to making the accidental spy where he spends the entire film just running away from bad guys the whole time (laughs) first strike he's mainly avoiding fights super cop he avoids fights he stays Mm. away from them it's like wow if i'd paid to see this in a theater i feel ripped off okay and um all the fight scenes in first strike there's like two um they come from misunderstanding he's not even fighting the bad guys Mm. he's fighting guys who misunderstand what he's there for or, or he misunderstands oh we're friends after we have this big elaborate ladder fight. And um, I don't know if it's his weird, maybe it was part of his transition into a full-time commie, where he wants the whole (laughs) world to be unified into one big commie union, collectivist thing. I don't know. Globalist. Yes, a globalist, exactly. (laughs) But um, I remember after a screening of The Accidental Spy, a friend of a friend got to meet Jackie at the screening in New York and um actually decided um well a couple of friends one is a writer who calls himself a hong kong movie expert but he he really ripped into jackie because he's like well what did you think and he goes and he told him everything that was wrong with the movie he was very honest about it and and then the other guy said jackie would you want to watch a fred astaire movie where he never dances and jackie's like oh i understand what you mean i think the next movie was um was shanghai noon which actually had a lot of action and a good friend of mine Seaton, <laughs> he was asked by somebody who worked on the shanghai noon set hey Seaton, we need some shaw brothers movies because jackie needs to study the weapons fights mm. to see how to do them at that time hardly any shaw brothers films were on video unless you had an access to to bootleg so Seaton sent a bunch of shaw brothers films with stick like even in hong kong they had never released those on videotape so they were studying the old shaw films to see how to do the stick and chain fighting type stuff because just to have something to go by and um so it's funny that he supplied and he probably sent the tapes for nothing like seaton you should have charged him a thousand dollars a tape man you could have like bought a new car you know but um but yeah there was this there's this weird thing in his career where he just didn't want to do fight scenes it was it was odd to me as a fan who you know had i seen him in at, at age 10 running away from bad guys and just throwing trash cans at him i i wouldn't be a fan it was like there's no way in hell i'd be a fan you know we want to see our heroes fight a little bit kick some ass
0: jumping through grocery carts
1: especially with a title like <laughs> rumble in the bronx you want first uh-huh. strike where's the want a rumble yeah first striking more like first strike more like first sprint because he's <laughs> just like trying to avoid fights you know
2: well slide under that hovercraft yeah <laughs> Can't believe how many that people baby. get
0: run over. I do love those stunts at the end. I mean, the, I wish it was a fight. Yeah. But it's pretty funny how they just run over a bunch of people that hovercraft. I was like, "God, how are they
1: not getting wrecked
2: by that machine?"
1: They really carefully planned that stuff. Well, they, ran, they
2: ran it over that Ferrari, you know. It was like it didn't do anything to it. <laughs> well, it took all the well, paint off.
1: <laughs> well, um one advantage with the Hong Kong stuff and and Okay, Rumble in the Bronx. They used a lot of the Canadian stunt crew, but the cool thing is, is how the in Hong Kong they knew how to shoot and edit that stuff, where it doesn't look choppy or mistimed or the framing is bad or whatever. It's a certain thing you see in American films where they the editor doesn't really know how to edit action scenes or fight scenes, so you might have a film like a movie like Jean Claude the Jean Claude Van Damme movie knockoff was directed by Chewy Hart. Sammo Hung directed these all these action scenes. None of the action scenes are in the final cut because the American editor didn't understand the notes to include <laughs> all this fight scene stuff in there. So they shot all this apparently amazing fight footage. None of it's in the film. Mm. Oh, it's an entertaining movie. It's a stupid film, but it's very entertaining. And Steve DeSouza did tell me on Twitter that Chewy Hart shot that film exactly as he wrote it. So... Mm. No, no real complaints there, I guess.
2: Uh, Brett, what would you rate Rumble in the Bronx? I would also give it an eventually. Eventually. I concur. Eventually.
0: And I believe we all gave it the exact same rating on Letterboxd. Three stars.
1: Yeah,
2: it's
0: a three-star movie. Uh, John, let's get your plugs out of the way. How about Letterboxd? Let's start with
1: Letterboxd. what, What am I on Letterboxd? Real John Grace, probably probably <laughs> i'm easy to find on there same um, as your twitter right right yeah <laughs> the twitter has this uh black cat who keeps leaping in and out of the zoom frame uh being <laughs> held when he was a kitten which i a, a photo no one understands and i don't want him to um also there there's my letterbox <laughs> account where i do one sentence movie reviews um sometimes two sentences if i'm feeling you know like i need to work hard for it <laughs> There's the midnight movie Cowboys uh, podcast where we review all sorts of stuff, not just the Hong Kong action movies. We actually rarely review those. Um, we just review everything under the sun. Um, we might be bringing rock month back. I don't know for sure. I'm not going to say for sure, but it might be coming back. Uh, everybody loves that. Uh, we are going to end the video, the video podcast because YouTube is uh, kind of dickish about the, uh, the strikes for content and, um, and music and everything else have you guys and, gotten uh, a strike
0: which what have you guys gotten a strike
1: i uh, according to Stu, we have mm. we've had problems but in and so we're careful not to curse on the or, or it's censored on youtube if you listen to it on the audio version it's usually uncensored okay. like on our our website page but um midnight movie cowboys we're checking out um if you like this show you'll you'll probably like ours definitely and you'll hate at least one of us because there's three <laughs> hosts so you know, we're and you can blame us for bringing zolly into podcasting world or credit um, it's, us it's my favorite yeah. show yeah it's it's, it's a lot Cowboys. of people's favorite show for some reason i don't know
0: because you guys give a lot of great content we try a lot of behind the scenes stories a lot of great insights it has everything mm-hmm. yeah a lot,
1: of, uh, a, lot <laughs> a lot of a lot of angry viewpoints a lot of contrarian
0: views you might have to suck up your your like uh, your film going pride to listen to some of this stuff because you should talk a lot of the films that I, I love. But
1: <laughs> well, we've all got different tastes. You get kind yeah. of an angry uh, Gen X viewpoint on stuff in a True. way, and uh, with Hunter, you get the millennial viewpoint. Yep. And with Stuart, you get the Australian viewpoint, which is completely different from the, the Gen X or the which was millennial. get fucked. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> hey, shit, mate. Yeah. I oh, didn't like it. <laughs> yep. And boy, when Stu goes off on something he doesn't like and he gets real descriptive, oh, it's a, it's hilarious. It's almost as funny as when he hears a foreign name like Dixon Poon. And <laughs> <kind of laughs> Dixon for, Poon for five minutes. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, we so had it's... Stu on a couple of our episodes, and I think at least the first two or three were, episode- were uh, movies that he absolutely hated yep <laughs> crocodile dundee best.
0: and uh what was the other one
2: die hard 2 yeah, die hard we had Two. all three of you on for die hard 2 and he, he absolutely hated it
1: <laughs> was i on the die hard 2 one
0: yeah that was our christmas oh, episode where we
1: oh you right, had right. us
0: on your uh halloween we did a two-parter right and then we had you guys on for our christmas episode which was Die Hard 2 and then like top five favorite christmas films
1: right right because i said die hard 2 was like moonraker Yeah, (laughs) spy who love me is great and then moonraker is watchable but not quite
2: as good and then Uh, Stu stepped in for eric after he had his baby and uh i convinced him that repo man is actually a good movie he he didn't he didn't want it huh he he did he he, He didn't want to like it and then like
0: he he said he didn't like alex cox and then he saw repo man and was like oh it's really
1: good it's just one good movie the one good alex cox movie (laughs) Well, if you listen yeah. to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we did two episodes on that. The one with Stu. Stu hated the film when we started, and he kind of likes it more and more as the show goes on.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it was a pretty long episode. But He
2: seems to do that a lot. That was kind of how the Repo Man one went.
1: Well, it's because, you know, the, he watches these movies. He's in a bad mood or something. I don't know. A kangaroo stepped on his foot. I have no idea. And then, He
2: watches it, like, immediately after waking up right before recording.
1: we always tell him (laughs) that's not the way to do it yeah
2: like he has no time to to digest it whatsoever (laughs) (laughs) oh man
1: but yeah it's a it's a chaotic show there is no podcast like it really
0: well uh thank you so much for uh coming on the show again and gracing us with your knowledge
1: well hopefully you'll consider this a pardon the pun encyclopedia podcast basically of the jackie chan entry indeed
2: this is a this is a real format buster for us (laughs) 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 although
0: rumble the Bronx is kind of a format buster because there isn't really a plot so no no there isn't
1: absolutely not
0: can't go scene by scene really
1: lives up to the stereotype of these films with a lot of viewers who won't watch them so
0: you can point out oh Angelo had a really great disguise in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> the stupid biker costume.
2: <laughs> oh man. We didn't even thought Angelo had a mansion. Like why was he even hanging out with that street gang? <laughs> he had his own personal security. I mean he was he was living good. Uh
1: so in Hong Kong, they they learn about America from watching shows like Chips and Baywatch. Sure. So they think even street gangs are wealthy or something.
0: All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. And uh can't wait to hear the next
1: MMC. What are you guys doing next? Uh, I think the next episode should be um King Solomon's Mines and mm. Alan Quid in the city of gold. <laughs> just in time for the latest indiana jones travesty so um we we talk about the richard chamberlain uh canon the two movies he made for canon with the uh alan quitter main character the kind of indie indiana jones knockoffs even though one is actually a remake of a film that's been remade like two or three times sure. since 1930 something whatever so uh i think solomon's minds and sharon stone's i guess uh big starring debut and uh, we had Eric Zolliver on for that, and it's just me, Hunter, and Eric. Um, should be out soon. I don't know when okay. that's going to be out. I, I don't know what our next one is going to be. We're, we we got to come up with something crazy.
0: Man, I know Stu. You took the month of June off, uh, right? You know, we were going to do our start our second season of Mirrorball Movie Cowboys, right? But it's funny, uh, Stu and I were talking, and and we talked about we're going to do a few new movies for Mirrorball Movie Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I'm still holding out hope. I want to save Can't Stop the Music for you and the MMC proper. Right. And he said, you know, you know what? Let's just, you know, we t- we've we talked about it a little bit about doing a replacement for Rock Month called Cock Month. <laughs> you told me that your semi-joking idea for Cock Month <laughs> but, and uh, Can't Stop the Music would be. One of the uh, focus pieces for Cock Month.
1: (laughs) Well, the um, I think the gimmick we wanted for uh, Can't Stop the Music is we were bring Dan back on the show, who was on our um, Kenneth Anger episode and was also on our our, uh, the Doodler episode, the gay, the true crime episode we did about the gay serial killer. Sure. uh, Although I guess he was a gay assaulter, more like it. I don't know how many many he'd actually killed um so we bring dan on there to be our obligatory like homosexual so we could make gay jokes and not get too much (laughs) back for it but we'll probably make them anyway but but dan usually makes the most offensive gay jokes because being gay he can get away with it and And he has memories of new york in the 80s so that should if we if we get it done we we got to have dan on there that'll probably make it the best show yeah Cause there's no other way I would sit through that silly thing other than to look at Valerie Perrine and, you know, and, and laugh at Bruce Jenner, I guess, cause he's supposed to be the macho guy. I can't
0: remember what episode it was. It was a, a couple of years ago. Oh, a couple, maybe just a year ago. Mm-hmm. And John, or sorry, you're John. Uh, Stuart mentioned, I still want to do can't stop the music. I know it's a running joke, but I want to do it. And you said, Oh no, we gotta get. We should have the WTM guys on for that. It would be hilarious. Blah
1: blah blah. Right.
0: But might, no, I think it would be great if you had Dan. Yeah, on. yeah,
1: we might we might have Dan. We,
0: I didn't think about that, but I really enjoyed your Kenneth Anger episode. Not really knowing shit about anger, so that yeah, was I didn't know anything about him, him
1: really until we, <laughs> other than I read Hollywood Babylon as mm-hmm. a teenager. But, He's a,
0: He was a great guest.
1: Yeah, and it was like a week before uh, the show's recording that I started watching Kenneth Anger movies. I'd never seen him. So that was a, it was a total education for me.
0: But the point was, you said on an episode that you would do Can't Stop the Music.
1: <laughs> yeah. I kind of committed myself to that. <laughs> kind of right. committed. But so, I said, I'll, I'll do it with Dan on the show. I said, I'll do it with, with <laughs> my go. weird gay friend.
0: There you go. That's all show. I care that'll, about.
1: That'll make it more interesting and funnier. Because
0: right I feel like it needs to come full circle because you guys have talked about it for how many years on your show. <laughs>
1: Six seven. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because on the previous show, the previous podcast where I started, uh, there was a running gag that we were gonna do a double show that was gonna cover Batman Forever and uh no Batman and Robin and Cruising. The William <laughs> Freakin film. Sure. And it was just a nonstop joke and <laughs> and it was a total running gag, but eventually we were probably gonna do it. But then my co host decided he wanted to be a different person and that all fell apart but whatever yeah but but with this we will do can't stop the music even if it's the final mmc <laughs> show ever we're gonna do can't stop the music we have perfect we have vowed to Stu. we're gonna do it as far as i'm concerned it's Stu's show okay. and we're gonna do it we will last
0: i last i talked to him there was still some there's still some anxiety about whether or not you guys would actually do the episode finally but
1: no, no, we're going to do it. He's just, he's just, it's a, that's his Australian <laughs> sense of humor.
0: Well, good. I'm on pins and needles. Can't wait for that.
2: It'd be like us covering Norbit on this show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> got to have um, the, got to, got to do the legendary, <laughs> the legendary <laughs> film. The one <laughs> uh, unspoken of that's always in the background. <laughs> and, yeah. Could have been
0: your birthday pick. Could have picked Norbit. You picked I mean, The Wraith. Is, I'm going to have another birthday, I hope. The Wraith, which I haven't told you, but The Wraith has been giving me recurring nightmares. Maybe that's a story for another day, but...
2: <laughs>
0: I've been having these dreams about The Wraith, the car.
1: Charlie Sheen movies do that to people. <laughs> I have nightmares about Major League all the
2: time. <laughs> oh, What's wow. funny is Charlie Sheen only showed up for like one day shooting for The Wraith, and then he... <laughs> <laughs> then he went That's what it do. claimed
0: in the to be <laughs> when there's like four or five different setups. It's like, there's no way they did this in a fucking day. But
2: it was the other one he was doing platoon. Was that, was that the one Well, that did? was
0: before? Well, yeah, this was coming out. Oliver Stone was, was pissed because he thought it was going to ruin uh anticipation for platoon.
2: <laughs> well, he started doing the race and then uh, Oliver Stone says, we need you in uh, wherever Vietnam for platoon. And uh, Charlie Sheen said, Well, thanks for the, the memories, Wraith crew. Well, uh, see you never. I got a left. date
0: on the set of Lucas
2: <laughs> with some Crisco and Corey Haim. <laughs> <laughs> although, uh, although we bullshit on him only filming for one or two days because there's no way he could have done all those setups and in, in that amount of time.
1: Yeah. No, not even. Well, I think it was film. a typo,
2: it was probably meant one week.
1: They probably had him for one or two weeks, and then he was he was out off to the Philippines to film because uh, sure. that's where they were filming it. So
0: John gave everyone enough fun facts. I don't think Brett and
2: I even need to do fun facts for this. <laughs> I I agree. I'm looking through IMDb and there's not too much more.
1: Yeah, what else are you going to say other than China's on the other side of the world?
2: <laughs> oh, uh, yeah.
0: I was going to bring up another thing, but it's about Bobby Lee and Michelle Yeoh and it's not that important.
2: <laughs> Bobby Lee from Mad TV yeah
0: in Minnesota got diddled by a mentally challenged person in Edina Minnesota <laughs> he tells some very graphic stories in a very cheerful manner that you could tell there's a very dark history to his life yeah <laughs> he's had a really awkward dinner one time with Michelle Yeo because like Asians put him together like hey she's Asian you're a famous Asian let's get you guys having lunch
1: You'll speak an Asian language and (laughs) have Asian (laughs) food.
0: All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up. Thank you so much, John. It's been been a blast. Oh,
1: always. It's always fun.
0: Be sure to check out the Midnight Movie Cowboys. Also, you can reach out to us. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Check us out at Twitter at watchthis underscore movie or Brad at positivelywolf1, which is also his letterbox profile mine is under eric underscore molder uh, please rate and review subscribe on apple podcast stitcher spotify and many other podcast apps make sure you do the same for the midnight movie cowboys and they're also on youtube for the time being well you're still going to have a youtube you're just yeah. not going to have new episodes
1: you'll always be able to access those the youtube videos that we're not pulling those we're just not going to do any more video podcasts yeah.
0: so you're going to stop whipping the- out your junk to people
1: no more whipping out the junk. It's like it just doesn't work if you don't see it. And yeah. uh, I don't. I don't like people knowing that I, I'm reading Robert Heinlein that week. You know, it's uh, <laughs> a little compromising.
2: He couldn't have made that decision like a month and a half ago.
1: It's been <laughs> under debate for, for a Brett, while. Brett revealed his face to the world. I'm, ju- I'm just yeah. saying.
2: I I did the video for you guys, uh, <laughs> it assuming goes- that was. Uh... It goes no back choice. and forth,
1: and I'll put it this way. I'm not saying <laughs> you won't ever see a new video on there, but our current plans are we're going to go back to being a theater of the mind. Okay. Because I think it's better to question whether or not Zolly is real. <laughs> <laughs> I think the theater of mind works better with Zolly. If you actually see Zolly, some of the magic is it's not that Zolly's bad looking or anything. It's just that some of the magic is like, wait a minute, is it one of those guys doing a voice? What the hell's going on? <laughs> you know? Don't
0: want to look behind the curtain.
2: Although he tweets right, a right. video of himself every morning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm up. But, <laughs> but it's like coffee you know, or water. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm the fire. James Gunn.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hashtag. James, James Gunn is a pedophile.
2: I'm up. <laughs>
1: Hashtag
0: James Gunn needs to be fired. Restore the James Snyder.
1: murdered Zack Snyder's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> this is a revenge for Autumn. <laughs> oh man, fire James Gunn.
0: <laughs> all right. Well,
1: they'll never. They'll never be able to get rid of him <laughs> on Twitter. He's got so many murder accounts. It's, it's, it's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks again. We will check you later
1: check you later
2: bye later. wait man why are you always such a dork man what are you talking check about you <laughs> check you later check you later hey man you lost off my case
1: oh, you are all garbage